All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Woodwell. Here inside the Spoken Studios with my guys, Trevor Woodwell and Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. Episode 175, full swing, full motion. We are so happy to be here with you guys and for you to be here with us. We have so much to get to today, guys, because unlike the last few weeks, we have some legitimate Chiefs news, some NFL news to get to from players of the, of, of the previous regime or previous eras to the guys that are playing right now and what we can configure, what we can figure out what's going on with their contract disputes. We got a lot to talk about, man. And first and foremost, before we do in each and every show, we want to thank you guys, obviously. And we want to appreciate all the people that have been with us since the very beginning. Everybody that has been dropping in on Facebook, YouTube, uh, all the podcast platforms, all of, uh, t- all of Twitter. We've had such incredible support. So whether you're live streaming, whether you are YouTubing, or you are podcasting, thank you so much for being a part of this. We hope that you guys are over there on, on YouTube to subscribe to what we're doing. We're trying to monetize everything we do here at the Spoken Podcast. We appreciate Every, every single one of you have already done that. Let your friends know. Let your family know, guys, because we are going nowhere except hopefully upward because we have a lot to a lot, a lot of great ideas, a lot of things we want to do with this show, and it's only possible with you guys, and quite frankly, we, we wouldn't want to do it if you guys weren't around. First and foremost, when it comes to what I had said last week on how I started off the entire episode, I was very confident and something that I thought was was going to happen. I, the, the, one of the first statements I made uh, was that the Chiefs are 100% going to pay Orlando Brown Jr., the left tackle that they had traded for just a year previous from the Baltimore Ravens. And I broke down my reasonings as to why. Now, if unless you have been in outer space or under a, a proverbial rock, um, you guys got the news yesterday just like I did. The deadline came and went July 15th at 3 p.m., where the team, the, the teams that have uh, franchise tagged an individual has to uh, get to a long-term extension or they cannot negotiate throughout the rest of that season before, uh, before next offseason. And I was very confident that was going to happen. It did not happen. The Chiefs and Orlando Brown Jr. did not end up getting a long-term deal in place. And I had a myriad of emotions <laughs> going on inside myself yesterday because it was initially announced that the Chiefs were making... Uh, Orlando Brown Jr. essentially the highest paid left tackle in football on an annual basis. And we're going to get to the numbers in just a second. And when I heard that that's what the Chiefs were going to do, it it, it reignited my confidence in what the Chiefs, what I believed they were going to do, which was to make him a top-tier priority. And the math was all there because they didn't pay Tyreek Hill what he wanted. And it looked to me like they chose Orlando Brown Jr. over Tyreek Hill moving forward because he does play a more important position. He's not a better football player, but he plays a more pivotal position for this team's success moving forward, protecting Patrick Holmes' blind side. It is easier, in theory, to replace a wide receiver than it is to replace a left tackle, especially when they are players at the calibers they are at the respective levels. And I thought, oh, okay, the Chiefs are showing that. And then we get the news that his agent, the representation, uh, Michael Portner, 
uh, for, for Orlando Brown Jr. actually turned down this offer. Now, when we first got this news, my guy Grant Morse of Arrowhead Live, uh, several other people that I trust in the, in, the, in, the, in, in the media and in this industry, locally especially, um, reported that this had been turned down and that the Chiefs were willing to offer Orlando Brown Jr. a substantial amount of money for a six-year deal. And I'm sitting here just absolutely puzzled. How in the world could Orlando Brown Jr. ask for what he's asking for, and then when he gets it, when he gets paid like Trent Williams, he's not going to take that offer? That was baffling to me. I thought, there's no way in the hell this is true. There's just no way. This is everything he wanted. He wants to stay in Kansas City, he wants to play with Patrick Mahomes, and he wants to get paid big money. What the hell is he doing? What the hell is Michael Portner thinking? This guy, this wet-behind-the-ears agent, just must be absolutely out of his, out of his gourd. He must be trying to pull off a, a Jerry Maguire-type story with Rod Tidwell. And then... The news comes out just shortly after because Michael Garofolo uh, from NFL Network, James Palmer, uh, all these big, Adam Schefter obviously was out there talking, Tom Pelissero, they were all on top of this story. Ian Rappaport, they're, they're all giving us tidbits of what they know. And now obviously we know that guys like Mike Garofolo was probably getting information from the agent of Orlando Brown Jr. And then Adam Schefter and guys like that probably are getting from the representation side of the Chiefs. They all have their sources and we're all hearing different stories. Well, according to Adam Schefter, the final offer from the Chiefs' side was a six-year deal worth $139 million, 23.16 on average, that includes a $30.2 million signing bonus and $95 million in the first five years. And according to Adam, both sides are still hoping, even though this, trade, this, this deadline has come and went, to get a new deal, a new deal done next offseason because the Chiefs still right now have two years of control on Orlando Brown Jr. They franchised him, ta franchise tagged him this year for the $16.6 million, and they can franchise tag him again next year. What they want to do with him after that is up to them, but the Chiefs do have that leverage intact. And so I'm looking at these numbers. I'm thinking, oh, this is this is good. This is great. Like I think this is a more than fail, fair, fair, fair deal for for Orlando Brown Jr., who is not better than Trent Williams, even though he is about six, seven years younger. He's not better than Trent Williams at this current time. And Trent Williams in 2021 got 23 million a year from the 49ers. This is right at that same number. He's not so, even better than the guy that's right below Trent Williams or the guy that's right below that or, guy. Or Ronnie Stanley, who he had to replace for a short time in Baltimore. And so I'm thinking, man, he really missed the boat here. And in some regards, I still feel that way. But then, like I said, more stuff started to come out about the news, about the, the actual numbers and what the Chiefs were actually offering uh, Orlando Brown Jr. And what it actually was, was a deal that was roughly five years, $95 million, which is about 18 and some change per year, $18 million per year, which is the number the Chiefs clearly saw Orlando Brown Jr., you know, what his value was what last worth. year when they traded for him. Mm -hmm. And then... The back end of that deal is what made the numbers look so inflated. Um, the, the final end year was six years, or the six year was $44 million guaranteed. Now, I don't know about you guys, and John Dixon uh, from Arrowhead Pride broke this down, and I actually I'll read it for you guys so he can say it in a much clearer sense from, than I do. John Dixon of Arrowhead Pride, uh, as the figure shows, the, the total value of the contract did average more than $23 million per year, but as always, the annual per year average 
the figure doesn't come even close to telling the full story. The key number is the $95 million that would be paid over the first five years. Since signing bonuses can only be prorated over the first five years of a contract, this means that that sixth year of that contract, of course, would have been the $44 million base salary. Even though NFL salaries are likely to be much higher by the time the 2027 season rolls around, the likelihood that the Chiefs would even would have ever paid $44 million to a 32-year-old Brown would be almost nil. So in essence, Kansas City was really offering a five-year contract with an annual per average of $19 million a year. And they, he keeps going down about the figures and how this all represent, represents. So my initial reaction was, how could he pass this up? And then I'm like, okay... I'm seeing this news about what the actual offer was, and I almost understand completely why Orlando Brown Jr. and his representation didn't take this offer because of the fact that if you actually take off that final year that never would have existed, this this contract is in a sense is lowballing what Orlando Brown Jr. wanted because according to Nate Taylor of the Athletic, the contract that Orlando Brown's camp wanted was around these numbers: a six-year deal for 139 million, which is exactly the same number that the Chiefs were offering, in a sense. But the, 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 the fine print is what really matters here. He wanted 33 to $34 million in signing bonus with $71 million fully guaranteed, which is more than what Ronnie Stanley got, the guy that the Bravens essentially chose over Orlando Brown Jr. because Orlando Brown Jr. was willing to play for the Baltimore Ravens. He just wanted to play left tackle. They said, no, we have Ronnie Stanley already. We're going to let you go and, and seek uh, you know an opportunity elsewhere and traded him to the Chiefs. So here we stand. With no deal in place, and now we have the full scope of what took place and why this deal did not come down. And I've been on both sides of the spectrum because when the news first broke, like I said, and we found out Orlando Brown Jr. turned this deal down, I thought it was foolishness. I said, I can't believe he would turn down this type of money. Then we get the details, and I understand that he wanted to make over $20 million a year, and I personally believe Orlando Brown Jr. is worth that because you, the market alone... At SpotRack.com states that Orlando Brown Jr.'s particular market value was $22.4 million a year. So I was okay with the Chiefs paying him that if, in fact, that was the true number. But as, we see from the, as, as we've seen from the actual fine print, that isn't what the Chiefs were actually offering him. It was between 18 and 19. So the Chiefs clearly didn't understand what they want out of Orlando Brown Jr., what they believe he's worth. And Orlando Brown Jr. sees that differently. So we can both we can both support both sides here and say okay they are clearly at a standstill they clearly see things differently and this honestly guys is why I'm choosing optimism Trevor you're the guy that always talks about preaching optimism and seeing things from an optimistic standpoint because yesterday I was not seeing it that from that point of view but today I am and here's the reason why and I tweeted this yesterday and it kind of got me to where I'm at now this is a perfect storm for the Chiefs and Orlando, Orlando Brown Jr. What have we been preaching all offseason about the guys that this team currently have? One-year prove-it deals, correct? McCole Hardman, Juan Thornhill, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, all these guys are on a Clyde Edwards-Alaire, essentially on one-year deals. Not even mentioning Juju Smith-Schuster and guys like that. All motivated individuals that are trying to get their next payday or stay with, the, stay with a Super Bowl contender. Mm -hmm. That is literally the definition of what this is now with Orlando Brown Jr., because now the incentive is for both sides for this to work out. If Orlando Brown Jr. goes out there this season 
and has an incredible year and basically carries on what he did from week six on from last season, which he was a top 10 left tackle in the NFL from week six on. Dude was insanely good last season. People forget that, but he was awesome from week six on. It took him some time, but once he once he gained it, once he got his bearings under him, his feet under him, he became a reliable asset on this offensive line, who's one of the best offensive lines in football, I might add, and he plays a pivotal role in that. He goes up there and balls out. All of a sudden, he's getting himself a payday, no matter if it's with the Chiefs or with somebody else. He's getting himself $23 to $25 million easily. So he has all the reason in the world, because people are out here concerned right now that, oh, he's going to sit. I was even considering that. I was like, man, he might actually sit. But as we, as we talked yesterday on our little group chat, literally, he will make $1 million per game next, week, next year. Mm-hmm. He, will not, he will not make that money if he does not play next season. He has only made around $4 million total in his career to this point. Right around $4, four to $5 million in total. He's not made a lot of money so far in his career. He would make sixteen over $16 million a, a, for the entire next season. 16.6 to be exact. So he's going to have life-altering, life-changing money even on a franchise tag. So the incentive is there for him to go out there and make all the money he can make this season and then put himself in a position to where he can go and make that record-breaking money. And for the Chiefs, think about it like this. They get the best at Orlando Brown Jr. Patrick Williams is going to have a clean jersey each and every week. Because think about it. Outside of the right tackle position right now, we know what we're getting out of every single position on the, on the, on the offensive line. We know. It's not a, well, we're hoping. Well, we're, we're optimistic. No, we know what Joe Tooney is. We know what Creed Humphrey is. We know what Trey Pancake Papa Smith is. We know that these guys are going to protect Patrick Mahomes. And if we're getting the better, best version of Orlando Brown Jr. next season, that means his blindside is shirt up. Patrick Mahomes is not going to have to worry about getting hit from the backside. That's not going to have to happen. That's not going to be a worry of his, and he can play free football. So if he has that, and the Chiefs get that out of him, their Super Bowl chances go up dramatically. And the fact that if they say, you know what? We really liked what we got out of Orlando Brown Jr. this year. We're going to pay him what he wants. We're going to figure out a way to get this deal done. You're going to be our left tackle for the next five to six years, and we can figure this out because there is no bad blood between these two. This is just business. We talked about this last week about how sometimes business is, most times, good business is when both sides have to compromise and find a middle ground. They couldn't find that middle ground yet, but there's no animosity here because both sides are going to benefit off of what's going to happen this season if all, if all goes to plan, and he can get paid. But if the Chiefs decide, you know what? We, we like Orlando. We don't love him. You know, we gave up a lot to get him. We gave up four picks. We ended up getting Nick Bolton out of the trade, so we benefited off of it. So it's not a complete loss if we were to get rid of him. But also, he just had a career year, and he's 26 years old. He'll be 27 next May. So next next offseason, he'll be 27, just entering the prime of his career. We're going to trade him, and we're going to get a fucking haul for him. We're going to get early first-round pick. we get ourselves a couple mid-round picks, maybe even a player in the mix. Because left tackles are at an absolute premium. And you don't see those guys just sitting around in free agency looking to get picked up. Guys that are top tier in the middle of their prime left tackles, they either get traded or they get big-time lucrative deals or both. Mm. So the Chiefs can benefit off this either way. And it's going to either cost them money or it's going to cost them a left tackle. But either way, they're going to benefit off this. And Orlando Brown Jr. is going to significantly benefit off this. I'm of the belief, and I'm going to, I'm going to take this stance. I'm going to stay consistent with my stance. I want to see Orlando Brown Jr. as the left tackle for the Chiefs for the foreseeable future. I want to see him as the left tackle of this team until Patrick Mahomes is well into his 30s. I really want that to happen because I think he's the kind of guy that can, that can elevate his game and continually and gradually get better as he gets better, as he gets older. Because some guys just have that it. He's a legacy player. He's got all the talent, all the intangibles, and I believe in his work ethic. I believe in what he brings to this team. 
But there is that possibility that it doesn't happen. And I'm willing to live with either scenario because I trust that Brett Veach has done a masterful job this offseason. Have I always initially agreed with his stances or what he's done with some of these players? No, because I hated the Tyreek Hill trade initially, but then saw the bigger picture. I hated the fact that, that Orlando Brown Jr. didn't take the deal. I thought the Chiefs were lowballing him. And then all of a sudden I figured out, oh, this is just business. This is just how it goes. And we're not losing anything because, like I said, the leverage is still on the Chiefs' side where they still control him for the next two years if they really wanted to. This, to me, is Brett Veach showing us that he knows what the hell he's doing. And I'm not trying to be a fanboy here. Because if I didn't like this, I'd be on here right now telling you guys, listening audience, and my two co-hosts right here that I don't like this. I'd be honest with you. But I actually do like it. As crazy as it sounds, as many opinions and as many sides as I've been on from the last 24 hours, I get it. I understand why we, why we are where we are, and I think that it's going to, at the end of all of this, be the most beneficial, beneficial scenario for both sides, which is ideal. Because most times when things like this go down, it doesn't benefit one side or the other. Sometimes it fucks the other one, and the other one benefits off of it. I think both sides are going to benefit off of this scenario. Would I have liked to see a deal get done? Yes, because I would have loved to Orlando Brown Jr. to walk into the season knowing his money's already there, kind of like the Chris Jones situation back in 2020. We didn't really know if that extension was going to happen, and then the day of the deadline, he got his extension, and then Chris Jones can walk into that season knowing, I got my money, and now I can just focus on football. I wish that was the situation. That's not the situation. But I think some good can come of this. In fact, I think some great can come of this for both sides, for Orlando Brown Jr.'s future money, and for the Chiefs' future success. Trevor, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this was definitely a, a battle of leverage. Um, who could out-leverage who? And I don't think it was a low-ball offer. I think they're paying him what he, they think he's worth, and I think that was a fair offer. Um, but if Orlando wants to bet on himself, only issue I had is I didn't oh, – remember when we talked about this previously – I just didn't want any distractions. I didn't want there to be any kind of, you know, beef between any parties in this Chiefs heading, this Chiefs team heading into this this next season. It's a very big season for us this this coming season. So, uh, a lot of challenges ahead, um, and I wanted everyone to be on the same page. That's which is why I wanted to get that deal done, is get it you know cooked and taken care of and set them in. Uh, but that didn't happen. And the Chiefs, like you said, I agree. The Chiefs have the leverage here. Um, you know, he wants to go out there and be the and prove that he should be the highest paid or amongst the highest paid at that position. He's got this season to truly prove that. And uh, if we don't feel that was the case this season again, which we did in this offseason, uh, we can tag him again and we can try to find, you know, another replacement after that season. So it's – I'm glad he's here. I want him here. Um, the leverage he had is that knowing that there's no real other options for us right now at the point at this point. Um you know, Kennard can possibly be like a swing tackle guy that can play the left left tackle position. Maybe if if, if needed be, if injuries happen or anything like anything like that. Um, I do believe in this offensive line. I think it's one of the better developed offensive lines and developing offensive lines in the league. Um, and like I've said on the show numerous times, I, I believe whoever the left tackle is for Patrick Mahomes is not the best thing on his skill set, but is the most important left tackle in the league because he's protecting the best quarterback in the league. Um, so that is a very important position, and uh, I want a guy that's fully committed to this team and to winning. Um, that's the only hiccup I had in this whole situation. I wanted a guy that's committed, and I kind of feel uh, some sort of way about Orlando, and I get it. He wants his money, but I don't feel in his career he's, he's deserving of what he was asking for, and that's not my that's not me challenging him on what he thinks of himself. You know, you think of yourself what, what, what it is, whatever it is, you know, whatever you feel – uh, you are, um, and that's 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 within your right. But I don't feel like he's deserving of the contract he was asking for. 
granted he's getting paid more than he's ever going to be he's never getting paid gotten paid up to this point in his career with this tag so he's going to be paid well this season um i just i i i just think he was kind of had an overinflated sense of ego to be honest with you in this situation and i think the chiefs gave him an offer that was fair uh for what he's done in his career so far uh, and what we did to get him here and what we gave up for him to here, we've sacrificed things to get him here as well. So I kind of felt a little slighted there. Um, I feel like he isn't as good as he thinks he is at this moment, but he has a chance, like I said, this year to show who he, who he really is and, and, and continue the success he had that second half of the season last year. We're going to need consistency. We're going to need him in the postseason. You know, availability is huge. Um, so... I mean, I'm, I'm, look, I'm happy he's still on the, on, the, on the roster. I'm happy we were able to figure out, you know, just get him tagged and keep him here for this season, give him another shot to perform. Um, I hope he doesn't hold out. I don't think that's going to happen. I just didn't want any distractions. I didn't want anything like that heading into this, uh, um, this you know, training camp and everything. So I would much rather have a deal done. Uh, but this does give the Chiefs leverage uh, to get the best out of him. You know, this is basically another, like you said, another contract season for another player. That's a very vital part of this offense um, and that's, you know, having motivated players at any position is good, but let alone left tackle, having a guy fighting for, you know, generational wealth is a motivating thing. Uh, and it's undefeated, you know, shout out to Rez Paler. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I was definitely, I, I've definitely been stewing on it a little bit. Um, I still feel a little indifferent towards Orlando, to be honest with you. I think he's has a little inflated ego here. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Um, but, I mean, I'm glad the Chiefs have him on this roster. But, like I said, he's going to have to show out this season. You know, he's banking on himself. And I like that. I like that confidence. Um, but I can't just go ask for, you know, a $10 raise to my boss, you know, just because I want it. And I haven't performed possibly to the degree to deserve that. So, I, there's, just, there's, there's, there's give and take here, and I get it. That's, that's business. Um, but... Only thing I can hope as a Chiefs fan, because you said you, you you're okay on both sides, you're, you're you're understanding both sides. I'm Chiefs first, no matter what, no matter what name is on the jersey. I am a Chiefs fan first, and I want what's best for this team. And if Orlando banking on himself and taking the tag, uh, whether he had a choice or not, uh, the Chiefs t- tagging him and keeping him here, and and you know trying one more off season to see if we can get something done. Um, I'm with it. If that, if the Brett Beach thinks that's the best move, and they couldn't get it figured out then I'm, I'm, I'm Chiefs first, and I want to see what's best for this team. But I don't. I disagree. I don't think it was a low ball at all. I think they were paying him what they thought he was worth, and that's their prerogative, and it's his prerogative to disagree. So all I care is about getting dubs, man. If he, him being you know motivated by the money is going to help us get dubs, I'm all for it. I'm not going to say it was a low ball. Uh, I think both of them are, are in the range of almost getting the deal done. It was just the, the wording on the uh, – on the contract itself, like, you know, like, uh, backloading pretty much all of the contract. It, it was just little, little things like that, that, uh, made this deal not, not work out. But we've seen that Orlando Brown has the same number as the Chiefs. So there is, uh, there is interest, interest in both. And it looks like they will get a deal done. I, I do think there is going to be a deal. Uh, I believe, uh, Orlando Brown's agent said that it was really fun. Uh, it was really great working with the Chiefs, trying to get a deal done, and they're they're very very close. I will say to this too, not to interrupt you, but like this could have definitely been done a long time ago if Orlando didn't drag his feet on getting an agent. 
You know what I mean? We, he waited till the last second to get an agent, and, they, and then it had to come down to the wire. Like this could have been taken care of a long time ago. That's this, something I will forever the had the more time. Is they, they were very patient with him and getting him an agent, yeah. and he waited a month before the deadline. Right. That's yeah. that's something I can't defend him on. So, but I, I mean, I, I think the Chiefs know what they got to pay him. I, th- I think the Chiefs they they know what he's worth. Uh, I think protecting Patrick Mahomes has no price at this moment. Mm. Uh, I, I think that's something that the Chiefs have to have to have to live with for for the foreseeable future. Uh, I, I I mean I'm not upset at Orlando Brown for not taking this deal. I'm not upset at the Chiefs for offering this kind of deal. It, you know, like I said, they're both they're both right there. It's just a l- little bit of uh, structure in the contract kind of thing. So. We're really, really, really close to seeing something happen. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not too concerned about it. I think both sides are are very, very uh, interested in, in in each other. Uh, obviously, we haven't seen Orlando or Orlando Brown come say it's like, oh, the Chiefs, you know, they're disrespecting me or none right. of that. Uh, Chiefs haven't said anything about Orlando Brown. I'm sure they're both still really, really interested in in continuing with each other for the foreseeable future. And I think there is going to be a deal getting done. If it's not this year, uh, it'll be uh, next offseason. Uh, but I do expect the Chiefs to to uh, increase their uh, per year, I guess you can say, salary for uh, Orlando Brown. And I will say next offseason I think will be even a better opportunity for him, especially if he performs to get paid for him. Obviously that's great, but Frank Clark will most likely be off the books. He'll be gone. He won't be a Chief most likely. This Chris is more. I'm pretty sure Chris Jones will figure out a way to stay in Kansas City. I think he loves it here. But if that does happen, then even more. You know what I mean? So we'll have even more money to float around and possibly make you know moves and, and do things. Um, so I think maybe next offseason might even be a better opportunity for both sides because Chiefs will have probably more money on the books to, in order to spend. Uh, oh, they'll have a ton of money. That's what I'm saying. So we'll, we'll have certain guys off, and we have so many youth, so many young guys in this roster, especially defensively at this point. We're going to have so much money saved on defense for a while, unless we make a big splash move defensively in the free agency or something like that. But I think I think next season is a perfect opportunity for Orlando, uh, you know, for him to capitalize on even maybe a bigger payday than he was expecting this off season. So it makes sense for him. I mean, I get it, um, especially if he balls this year, which I'm fucking. I hope he does. Because uh, we need it, but yeah, I think with Frank Clark being mostly most likely gone this next off season, I mean that, that's you know there's more there's gonna be more space and move, more flexibility probably next off season than there even was this off season. Um, so I guess that that would make sense. There can still be a deal done before training camp, right? Or is no, a, it's it's done. It's yeah. The deadline is He's over. They, they can't. The, the only thing that he can do now is is sign his franchise tag, which he hasn't done yet. Which I don't think he's going to do yet. Yeah. Because you can't get fined if you if you don't sign your franchise tag during training camp, fined. you don't get fined for not showing up to Percentage practice. Percentage chance he sits out or to the games. I, 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 when it comes to like week one. I think it's zero percent. I don't think I've ever seen a lineman sit out. The but. reason, no, the, the biggest reason why is is because again, if he had already made like forty something million dollars in his career, I could see him sitting out because he already has that money to back up his stance. Yeah. Like guys like Le'Veon Bell, who had already made some money in his career. Oh, I think yeah. he made like twenty three, twenty four at that time uh, off his rookie deal. Like I can see that scenario playing out because of the fact that Orlando has not made a lot of money yet. I, I don't see a scenario because he's literally going to make a million per week. 
So why in the world would he hurt his own market, hurt his own purse, yeah. and and then try to convince another team or the Chiefs to give him that max money that he's looking for? Because to your point, Eddie, about the, the market rising, and to your point, Trevor, about the cap being so much more available and open for the Chiefs to spend money, it is an incentive for Orlando Brown Jr. to get that money next season. What The, the only reason, like I said, that I was hoping this would get done is for actually that reason in itself. It's so the Chiefs can get that taken care of now yeah. so that guaranteed money can start rolling into next year's cap and then they can start seeing okay what other options can we do around that because we already have a year into this new contract with Orlando Brown Jr. Now we can figure out a way to work around that as opposed to okay now let's go get that money done and now let's go get some more free agents. I, for me I would rather have other things in place mm -hmm. and then go attack free agency next year because I do believe and I know this is a long way away I do believe though that in 2023 that, that offseason the Chiefs are going to be insane spenders. I think they're going to have opposite year of what they had this year where they kind of took a breath before the blow. They go and get cheaper this offseason and the next year when the money rolls around they can go and spend that money on veteran guys and retool and reconfigure this roster a little bit which i'm very excited for but i'm with you guys on this the only thing i wanted to push back on a little bit trevor is what you said about uh the the chiefs or, or orlando brown jr and it, and it being more of an ego driven type of thing i do believe that there is ego involved but to the point of market value is the point that i try to hit home here mm -hmm. is that it isn't even naturally orlando brown that's saying that I need to be paid more. It's the market. Because if, if he was a free agent right now, you don't, you're going to tell me right now there wouldn't be eight to ten teams lining up to pay him $24, 25000000 million a year? Well, and I think it's the fact that he's also on the Chiefs. If he was on the Jets, I don't think he'd be making this big of a like a, a deal. It's, it's, it, it's, just, it's just all about the premium. Is that There's there's only 10 to 15 of these guys in the league that you can rely on as left tackles in this entire league. There, there are not 20 like solidified starting left tackles in this league. There's like 10 to 15 tops. And, sure. and Orlando Brown Jr. is 100% one of them. Is he one of the elites? No. But is it really crazy to think that one day he could be? Think about it. No, no, no. This guy's been in the league since only 2018. Yeah. Guys, guys take humongous steps from one year to the next. Yeah. And I think he could be one of those guys. Well, and it goes down to, too, I mean, what we gave up to get him, what we sacrificed to get him, you know what I mean? So, and, well, and, you know what I mean? And think about the money, the, 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 think about the difference in cash, just in guaranteed dollars. Because, like I said, the, the, according to his representation, he wanted $71 million guaranteed. That's a lot of guaranteed money. But think about how much of a steal that would be if Orlando Brown Jr. goes and has an all-pro season this year, mm -hmm. where he goes out there and plays like one of the best. Now, is that going to happen? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But is it is it crazy to think when we saw him get better each and every week last season in an offense he was not familiarized with at a position he was fairly new to. He was a right tackle for the majority of his Ravens tenure. Yeah. I do believe he has the left tackle skill set, but that was a massive step for him also in cultural change. So to the markets part of this, Trevor, that's why I wanted to ha hammer home is I think in a sense, the Chiefs did lowball him a little bit because they went about three to $4 million under market value. And I think that's where Orlando Brown Jr. was like, okay, this is where our divide is. Because it is life-changing money, but it isn't the life-changing money the, only, the market actually sets for my position. Not just me in particular. Yeah, but I mean, my position. Yeah, but we're talking market, though. I mean, we're talking about the best guys. And then you got to work your way down to where he's at as far as tier. I don't know if he's on a top tier worth where the, where the market is for the top tier guys yet. I don't, I don't think he is. That's, that's where my opinion was coming in. Like, I don't think he, I think he thinks he's worth what those top tier guys are worth. But the market thinks he is too, because of the fact that if you look up spot rack right now, go to spotrack.com, look up Orlando Brown Jr. Market value. You will see $22.4 million Based per year. Based on his performance? Based on his position. 
based on positional value because of the fact that like okay look at it like this do you really believe deshaun watson is worth 230 million guaranteed right now because he hasn't played in almost two years no well, when he he's not but the market states that he is so therefore the browns gave him that type of money so it's christian kirk he ain't worth 17 million a year oh that was but the market set him at that position and we all know that was some fuckery though right but my point though is because it happened the market says it happened it's the market is is, is insinuating to us yeah, this guy is what he is I according to value that's... according to our value so what i'm all i'm saying is and you disagree with me if 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 Orlando Brown was a free agent right now, an unrestricted free agent. Mm -hmm. You're going to tell me right now that there would not be a team out there, whether a contender or not, doesn't yeah, matter, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would offer him 22, 24, 25 million a year? For sure. The only reason he didn't get that this offseason is because the Chiefs have the leverage in his, in his franchise tags that they can back to back him. They had a year left of his contract and they could franchise tag him twice. Well, That's the only reason why he didn't get that this offseason. Yeah, and I mean, we're, and we're a contender. You know, we're the top dog in the AFC, you know, right up there with the best odds in the Super Bowl. And, you know, that, that, has leverage as well too. I mean, you can, go, you can go play for the Jets, you can go play for the Giants and get paid. And we've seen numerous players do that and just go, and their career just dies. You know that happens too. But I mean, I just, I just, I, I get the analytical side of it, and, and you know, and all the numbers and what you know the market says and so on. But I mean, I, I go by my eye test and what I see performance wise and what he actually does, and I think that's what the Chiefs are doing as well. I don't think I think they go by what you do. This is a what, what have you done for me lately kind of game, and. Look, I just, I just, I personally need to see more out of our, look, our, our look, Okay, but look, look, this is a perfect example, and it hits home right here because it's a guy that we've been watching for the last three seasons, Frank Clark. Mm. The Chiefs gave oh, him yeah. a $116 million deal before he played a single snap with the Chiefs, yeah, yeah. and he had one season of double-digit sacks. Yeah, we all, but why I mean, did all, he, and we all don't like that contract. But Okay, but why <laughs> did he get the contract? Of course. Because the market was set at that. Well, and he was balling before he got here, if we're being but honest. But he only had one season of really good football. He only had one great season of football. Yeah, and, and, and Orlando hasn't had one great season yet. I, I, I think you would agree with me, like I said last week, that he's been a better chief in one year than Frank's been in three. I disagree with that. I think, Fra dude, I think Frank's Frank one of the best defensive players in Chiefs history in the postseason. Okay, bro. but like, you he came up you, huge for us on that run. That, okay, but we're talking about a three-game sample But has Orlando size. had any play or any significant moment where like he was like a pivotal part of us having a great run? No, I, I would say so. I, I'd say he played a significant role in the Chiefs getting to the AFC Championship compared to Frank Clark's impact. Though, Absolutely. I, okay. I think that Frank Clark had a really hot streak in the playoffs yeah. for sure, and I will forever give him the credit he deserves for that. But outside of that, he's been shit. Frank Clark's been a terrible player for the Chiefs. Yeah, and we all don't like that contract, but I'm saying I... I, I agree with you. I'm just saying the market was set at a, a particular value. Mm. Therefore, the Chiefs had to pay him what he was I worth. I get what you're saying. The market yeah. is the market whether we like it or not, right. and he's gonna they're going to try to find you know the middle ground or wherever they can to, to meet that market you know price. I get it. I get the analytical side of it, the business side of it. I just... Me personally, as a Chiefs fan, all I care about is the X's and O's performing and going and winning games. And if he wants to be a part of that, he's going to be a big pivotal part of that. Pay the man. Get this done. But... I just don't – I haven't seen – I'm not – I'm 100%. I'm just not completely sold on Orlando yet. Yeah. I need to see more, and I'm hoping this season is the one where I'm just like, fuck, yeah, yeah. that's my guy. Lock him in. That's to, what I want to see. To reinforce that yes. confidence of, okay, this yeah. is the guy. They need to go ahead and pay him, get him locked up for the next five years. Mm -hmm. He's and he's super I, I young. I like him personally. Yes, he's super just, young. Yeah. He's got like, like – we were all on board, obviously, with them signing Trent Williams to that long-term oh, deal, yeah. right? He's an old and man. And he was 32. Yeah. And he had a history of injury problems. He had knee his. They had a, a, a drain his knee every week. Yeah. Like he but even he struggled last season. But yeah. he was still great. Yeah, yeah, and he missed games last season. You saw him struggle a couple times of run blocking. He's absurdly great. But you know what yeah. I'm saying. So the Chiefs had a formation in place. They knew what they were going to offer Orlando Brown Jr. It was just the fine print mm -hmm. that caused this to be. And I find it funny that Michael Portner, his agent, said that he really enjoyed talking to Brett Veach. I think there's a little bit. Of 
there's a little bit of humility there because let's be honest, Brett Veach just dog walked dog walked his agent. Yeah. I mean, Brett Veach knows what the hell. That's what I said. This tells me Brett Veach knows what he's doing because more times than not, if a GM is under the pressure or microscope of his of his owner to the point where he doesn't have full control or full power or full say of what he can do, the autonomy of his position, then we would have saw Frank or Orlando Brown Jr. make above market value. Well, that, and that's why that's I like and, that, and Brett Veach is my guy. One hundred percent. I have faith in Brett Veach, and I, that's why I'm glad he didn't crumble and just like throw whatever money that they wanted at him. He's like, you know what? We'll tag you, and you can go out and prove it this season. And having said that, I am still on the side of like what Eddie said and something I suggested just a couple days ago. When it comes to protecting Patrick Mahomes, mm. the saying is at all costs. That is more of where I stand. That I'm willing to pay for quality. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to pay to know that Patrick Mahomes is going to be on his feet all game. Yeah. As opposed to just getting knocked around because we have a guy that had to fill in for, for Orlando Brown Jr. You know, had to throw a, a freaking Andrew Wiley over there at left tackle or try to convince people for some damn reason they're still trying to convince themselves that Joe Tooney's a left tackle. Mm-hmm. You know, something absurd like that. I would feel terrified about because we saw what happened the last time Patrick Holmes didn't have a healthy, capable left tackle. They got beat 31-9 in the Super Bowl. So that's that's the problem I have. And so when it comes to spending money, yes, it isn't ideal to spend $25 million a year on a tackle. It isn't something you want to do. But if it comes down to what you need to do or what you want to do, I say choose the side of where you need to do because that's what's going to keep Patrick. We all want Patrick Mahomes to play until he's 44 years old, right? We talked we talk to his own father about how Patrick Mahomes' desire is to play deep into his 40s. Mm-hmm. The only way that's going to happen isn't by going and getting him more Tyreek Hills. The only way that's going to happen is if you get him more Joe Toonies and more Pat, more Orlando Brown Juniors. That's cl- the only way that's going to happen. Keep his jersey clean. Man. Why do you think Tom Brady has been able to play so long? It isn't because he had Gronkowski. It isn't because he had Randy Moss for a few years. It's because he had great offensive lines. Great defenses. Great no. defenses. Thank you. That's obviously another point. My point is they kept him on his feet. Yeah. Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, guys that played 200 plus consecutive games. It's because they had protection. It's no different than Patrick Mahomes. In fact, it's more so for Patrick Mahomes because he's a mobile quarterback. And you want to be able to protect this guy while he's over there moving around and getting getting feetsy in, in well, the and pocket. Having, and, having someone, and having someone who's consistent with him too and knows his, his habits and his tendencies. Yeah. That's a huge thing, too, because that's something you have to develop as long as right. as well as your own personal skill set and getting better at your position. you got to understand the, the the mindset of Patrick Mahomes and what he does, his tendencies to roll this way or roll that way. When the play breaks down a certain way, how is he going to play? You know what I mean? That stuff takes time. That's why a lot of the great quarterbacks have had you know a left tackle, a, a, a specific left tackle or a certain lineman that they <coughs> know really, really well have had around them for a long time, you know, or a snapper or, or you know whatever, like their center, things like that. A lot of those relationships are extremely important for the quarterback so yeah i've I've arrived at the position that i'm in because i I respect that both sides know what they believe is the worth of said player at said position Mm. and they stood their ground they stood to their principles i do respect that i really do i don't feel that either side was being ignorant and like eddie said just a minute ago i think they were very close I think both sides did say that, that they not only want a deal to get done, but they are very close. I mean, even according to what we were hearing from reports from Mike Garofolo and other guys that are well-connected, that Orlando Brown Jr. was even trying to kind of bridge the gap with the Chiefs a little bit more. So that's a good sign when the player is trying to bridge the gap with the team because that tells me the guy really is vested and invested into staying here in Kansas City because I think he knows, to your point about being on a contender, mm-hmm. that you, when you get paid and you're on a contender, that is ideal as I'm fuck. Saying, the because Chiefs it, had the leverage there. You can make millions and feel good about the paychecks you're getting each and every week, but yeah. it feels even better when you're getting those paychecks knowing that you got playoff contention. Yeah, when you're on TV during the playoff time <laughs> right. and you're able to put playoff film out there. Right. I mean, yeah, that's... 
That's huge for the resume. So I'm, I'm still very confident that next time, this time next year, we're talking about the, the Chiefs and Orlando Brown Jr. already having a deal in place because now they have a full year of his agency and representation talking to the Chiefs. There is that camaraderie, that rapport, that understanding between them. Now they've had those initial conversations. I wish, I really, really wish they would have figured this out. I, I think if he had had an agent when the Chiefs traded for him, yeah. we'd already had a deal in place. There would already be a long-term deal in place because he kind of set himself back. I can't really defend him in that regard because he put himself in this position to where it's like, hey, we got four and a half weeks until the deadline. Meet my new newly acquired agent. It's That's little, just not how you really of, want to go about it. A little it. bit of negligence on his and, side. And it's sure. no coincidence Lamar Jackson and other guys like them that have no representation still don't have a, a, a rookie extension, a, a contract extension from the rookie deal. So this, this Twitter banner, I need money. <laughs> well, go fucking hire an agent, dude. Yeah. It's very simple. There's a reason why the richest guys in the league have guys like Drew Rosenhaus representing them because they get paid because that agent knows how to get those contracts out of franchises you don't think right now that if orlando brown jr had a drew rosenhaus oh, that he wouldn't have gotten a contract last off season you bet your ass he would have yeah, yeah. as soon as they as soon as they agreed to the trade as soon as that trade was finalized drew rosenhaus and brett veach are meeting and they're talking about numbers yeah so you got to have that representation I, I players that are ignorant like that and think that they can figure this stuff out on their own or they can let time per, you know figure itself out no if you really want that bag you got to go and get the guy that can go get you the bag. Um, I'm going to move to another topic here, and it's actually staying on the offensive line of the Chiefs, but it's a former player. We got the news this week that longtime Chiefs uh, right tackle Mitchell Schwartz did hang it up this week. Yep. Um, only 33 years old, not old by any means. Unfortunately, uh, the, the, the dark side of, of playing sports at a high competitive level is you suffer injuries. Um, some guys are luckier than others and have a long, long, substantial career, make tons of money. Mitchell Schwartz had that going for him, played nine NFL seasons, uh, started off his career from, I think, 2013, if I'm not mistaken, he got drafted by the Browns. And then when his rookie deal was up, he went to the Chiefs. Chiefs kept him for five years. And not only did this guy play nine NFL seasons, not only did he not miss a start for his first eight NFL seasons, this man played 7,000 894 consecutive snaps. <laughs> and it wasn't until that Titans game in the yep. 2019 season when he got rolled up from behind. By the way, he didn't even miss another snap. He missed one freaking snap for that game and came right back yeah. in. It looked like he tore his shit. It yeah. looked like he tore his leg all that up. Nasty, Went right man. back in there. Because yeah, he didn't, didn't even miss. want to get out the game. No, yeah. and he, he didn't, didn't miss another snap for the rest of the season. Yeah, he was forced. He was, he, and so he was an Iron Man. A career cut short, honestly. And a career cut short because 2020... The Chiefs were obviously an unstoppable force that season, going 14-2. and two. Their yeah. only real loss was against, uh, fuck, was that the Raiders? Think it, Yeah, I think it was yeah, the Raiders. Yeah, yeah they they that weird his, game at yeah. home. I think it was actually the game that Mitchell Schwartz got hurt in, if I'm not mistaken. Um, week 5, yeah, so Assimile blew both his knees out. It was a really weird game. That horrific penalty that took away that 65-yard touchdown from Tyree Kill. Yeah. The only real loss the Chiefs had all that season. I, I stood firm on this side, and I will continue to stand firm on this side. The Chiefs do not win the 2019 Super Bowl or the year they do not win the Super Bowl in that 2019 season without Mitchell Schwartz. And they don't they win the next Super Bowl in 2020 if they had Mitchell Schwartz healthy. That offensive line was so depleted of talent and starting experience. You just had Eric Fisher or, or Mitchell Schwartz in that offensive yeah. line and give Patrick Holmes that little little amount of time to to figure out because you saw the way Patrick Holmes was still playing. He looked sharp as hell. Just plays could not develop. Yeah. If you just had one of those anchors on each side of that ball or of that offensive line, Chiefs win that Super Bowl because that was the entire reason why they lost that game. So Mitchell Schwartz, even though he played 
what most consider the, the, the inferior tackle position where it's not as important because most quarterbacks are right-handed and they can see that oncoming pressure as opposed to left tackle not seeing that blind side. Mitchell Schwartz, to me, and we've said this on previous episodes long ago, that I think he was more valuable than Eric Fisher because he was so good at what he did, mm. and you knew each and every week no one's getting through him. In fact, I saw, I believe it was Chiefs Hive that made that insane, that posted that insane stat about uh, Mitchell Schwartz. So check this out. You technically, if you apply for Harvard University, you have about a 4.6% chance of getting in. <laughs> to get a pressure through Mitchell Schwartz is less than 1%. <laughs> so you have a three, almost four times as good of a chance of getting into Harvard if you apply than you are getting through Mitchell Schwartz and getting a pressure on the quarterback. That's how absurdly great he it was. was. So good. He, to me, was the greatest right tackle of his generation. And I'm not saying that because he was just here. But I did get to see it each and every week. Some people, they look at the PFF scores. They see him in big games that are on Sunday Night Football or in the playoffs. Man, we saw him each and every week. Well, and it's hard for right tackles to make a name for themselves. Exactly. Like, a lot of right tackles aren't, like, sexy players in the league. They're kind of just, like, a glue guy. Just kind of, you know, just a... And he... He made a name for himself. He isn't even the biggest personality of his family. Yeah. Jeff Schwartz is Jeff was far awesome. more of, yeah. a, of a personality. Even good. though Jeff Schwartz wasn't his, the, the same player. Right. He was good. And he played for the Chiefs as well, which I think is why Mitchell ended up coming here because they knew the familiarity... New Andy Reid, you know the, the 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 understanding between them, but but Mitchell was the was the was the golden goose of that Schwartz family, yeah. and the Chiefs benefited off of having him so much. So he man. can still come back. Uh, well, he announced his retirement, so I he's know. officially done. But I, I I just I wanted to put this out there for Mitch. I would bring it back. In uh, I wanted I wanted to put this out here for Mitch, man, because I as although I am a big Darian Kennard guy, yeah, I believe he's going to be the truth at right tackle. If, if I'm with you guys, if I could flip a switch and say you get healthy, 100 percent healthy, Mitchell Schwartz, he has no back problems, no nerve damage, anything, you can get him or Darian Kennard. Give me Mitchell Schwartz. Thirty at thirty three years old, thirty five years old. This guy to me was one of those true legendary players at his position where he mastered his craft. He was a soft spoken, really nice individual, but on the in between those hash marks, Beast. you ain't getting through that wall with yeah. feet, dude. And so I want to pay homage to the great, and I say great Mitchell Schwartz. I hope he's inducted in the Ring of Honor one day because there are guys that are far, all respect to everybody that made the Ring of Honor. There are guys that did far less than what Mitchell Schwartz did. In his five years with the Chiefs, mm. and I, I think that he, I think he deserves all the credit in the world. He deserves to be praised and hailed as one of the true great offensive linemen in Chiefs history. We've had a ton of great offensive linemen in the history of Kansas City. I would love to see him bang the drum more often. I'd love to see him become more of an honorable me me member of society. He lives here in Kansas City with his awesome wife. He lives here. He's invested in this in this community in this town, and I, I really appreciate the five years of great. Elite football that guy gave us at the right tackle position, and I wanted to make mention on this show before the before we ended the show because we're not anywhere near the end. But I wanted to put that yeah, out yeah. there for him. See you guys tomorrow. <laughs> and that's it for us today. Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know if you guys had any additional thoughts on that, any experiences on Mitchell Schwartz because I I, I knew that I knew it was coming. I, I knew that he was going to retire. Yeah. He'd been out of the game now for two almost two years. Mm. It, it was just time. His body just could not. He, he talks about it all the time. He has severe nerve pain. Like he, yeah. his legs and stuff, he feels that firing off a lot. You just can't overcome some of those things. And it's, it's a, unfortunate his career was cut short. It's a back injury, so that's even more severe than a lot of the injuries because you do a little bit a tweak wrong and you're, you're going to damage it again. And it was a disc, if I'm not mistaken. It was a herniated disc, if I'm not. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, I, for the position he plays, yeah. his bag, that's everything. Yeah, yeah, you can't have nerve damage and stuff like that. You just can't play with man because that can that can further get worse and worse and worse. So, 
yeah. Hopefully he just focuses on his cooking and stuff like that. Maybe open hey, open tell, a restaurant. You know or something. What I was gonna say, I'll tell you what, man. That'd I've seen cool. some of his videos. Dude, I know, man. And the meat he makes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nah. yeah him and his brother they both get down. So I, yeah, I've, I'm. I'd be cool if he opened up some like local restaurant or something like that. Maybe to have a next venture in his career in his life. Well, hopefully one of these days we can get him on the show. That'd be pretty sweet yeah. to get some get some experience. Absolutely, from him, you know? I would love to have that. Put that uh, out there. Anybody that knows Mitch. Uh, let him know. I'll go get his agent. <laughs> there you go. Hey, don't be like Orlando Brown Jr. You know, get the agent early. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right, well, let's get to the Eddie Hour. By the way, uh, before we get to the Eddie Hour, if you guys have any thoughts, opinions, takes on that, hit the subscribe button on our YouTube channel and comment on there. Let us know what your guys' thoughts are on anything that we touch, anything, any topics related to what we're talking about today or any other episode. Let us know what you guys think. Let us know what your opinion is because that's what this is all about is to hear from you guys. Obviously, you want to hear what we have to say because that's what this show is. It's an opinion-based show, but we want to hear from you guys as well. Eddie, what is in the Eddie Hour this week? All right. Uh, let's see. This is a this is a, this is a question I came up with. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw uh, uh, the former basketball player, uh, uh, refereed one quarter. In, Richard Jefferson? Uh, Richard Jefferson in the uh, NBA Summer League. So my question is, should former players be revs in their former profession? No. No. I, I, I think that – I think this was more of like a, a fun thing they did because he was actually terrible from what I had seen. They, he had missed like 11 calls or some crazy shit. Like they had the stats to back it up. And although it's fun and I don't want to be like the guy that tries to like be a, a wet blanket on the situation – I mean, they're giving out summer league rings, and those summer league rings are legit. And some of these guys are fighting for starting positions to get on a on a roster to make it. And you're and you're putting a sideshow act in the middle of a game. I didn't really like it all that much, to be honest with you. I know it's fun, and Richard Jefferson is an incredible personality. He had a great NBA career. He played like like 17, 18 seasons, won a title with LeBron with that 2016 Cavs team. I, I really like RJ. I, I did. I just didn't really like this situation as much. If it was like an exhibition game where it didn't matter, okay, cool. But the, the, these guys are playing for rings. They're playing for opportunities, and I, I'm just not a big fan of that. So, um, I to answer your question though, as as directly as I can, no, because I think that um, there needs to be an integrity to that position. Because as we all know, a lot of times when our team loses or things are you know shifted, tilted in the leagues and things, the standings change. A lot of times we go back and say, well, that call happened, this call happened. And I feel that although players think they could be a coach or they think they could be a general manager, they think they could be an analyst, they think they could be this and that, a lot of times you are where you are and you are who you are because of your skill set. And it's arrogant of you to think that you can just take on a position like this when a lot of these guys, the good ones at least, take years and years and years of studying, schooling, all these things. Now, if you go and do that, if you want to go and put yourself in the ringer and you want to put yourself through all those things and go to college for that and learn how to become a ref and learn how to be an official, learn how to become whatever it is in that realm, cool. Go after it. If you're good at it, go get hired. But if you're RJ who retires from the court, stands on the side of the court and breaks down the game and then says, you know what, I want to try my hand in that, I'm not with that. I, I don't think that's a good idea, no. I mean, if it's a guy like RJ... I'm cool with it because I think RJ is a true student of the game. He's a really well-spoken guy. He's a well-demeanored guy. I don't have a problem with it. But like you said, they better go through the ringer just like everyone else. Just because you played the game and you're a professional at the game does not make you a shoo-in to be a referee uh, in the game, no matter what sport it is. You still need to go through and be, you know, as, look at all these guys. Like you said, these guys that do this full-time or even, you know, have gone through the schooling and, and, and you know, had to dreadfully go through the process of reading studying the rules you know verbatim and having to be robotic about it and they still miss a lot of calls 
You know what I mean? So a lot of these and the emotion of a being an ex player can, you know, cause bias possibly. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of cool with it. I thought it was pretty entertaining and I like RJ a lot. He's like one of those guys I'd kind of be okay with it, but like I don't think this is going to spark some kind of thing where a lot of ex players are going to win. Because if we're cool with ex players being coaches, I don't see why we couldn't be cool with ex players being referees. Um, I don't really have a problem with it, to be honest with you. I think it's kind of a a cool little touch if some ex players decided to start doing that. I don't. I don't think this is like a for real thing. I don't think RJ is trying to become a, a true referee in this league. Um, but it was entertaining, I guess. But it, it 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 for like a serious game, like you said, like yeah, this isn't this isn't the big three. This isn't you know. <clears throat> some celebrity all-star game, anything like that. This is different. This is, you know, so if, if guys want to really, really do that and they make that per, their, one of their professions, um, by all means, you know, go through the, the ringer, go do the, you know, the studying and, and, and you're not exempt from, you know, putting in the work either to, to do that. Cause you are, it, this is like Tim Tebow becoming just wanting to be a, a tight end and getting a tight end job in the NFL, going from being a, uh, you know, a terrible quarterback to, to being a terrible tight end and even getting the opportunity to do all these other guys that are trying, you know, fighting tooth and nail at that position their whole life, trying to do that. And he's taking jobs from them. It's similar to that, but if he's deserving, if these, if these ex players want to do that and they are deserving of a job and an opportunity to be a referee or umpire in the sport, by all means, but I mean, you got to work for it just like everyone else. Just because you played the game doesn't mean you get to, you know, referee it. So, I don't have a problem with it as long as they put in the work. Yeah. All right. Next question. Uh, this is one of the biggest rumors uh, in the NBA world this week. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but uh, everybody was talking about KD to Golden State again, being traded back there again with Steph and uh, Draymond Green and them. Your thoughts on that? I think it's. I think it goes without saying that makes a lot of sense because when they were together the first time, they were the most unstoppable team we've ever seen in the history of the NBA. So success would absolutely be assumed. KD goes back to that team, even if they have to trade, you know, Wiggins and Kaminga and Jordan Poole and picks. Even if they were to have to trade that, that still doesn't equate to the value of what Kevin Durant is. Kevin Durant is one of the greatest players we have ever seen play basketball and maybe is the most efficient scorer we've ever seen in basketball. The dude has had, what, I think 10 or 11 straight seasons of, of scoring at least 25 points and has shot 50 or more, 50% or better. That's an NBA record. Yeah. And you're putting that next to two other greatest shooters in the history of the NBA? Yeah, there's no coincidence why those guys, even at LeBron's apex, rolled through those Cavs teams because there's no comparison. That team would beat any other team in the history of the NBA. I don't care what anybody else has to say. You have a seven foot guy that can shoot 38, 40% from three, and then you have Steph Curry, the greatest three point shooter ever, and Clay Thompson, the second greatest three point shooter ever on yeah. the same team in their primes. Oh, yeah. And Draymond Green, who's a walking defensive player of the year every single year. Oh, yeah. And Steve Kerr, one of the most successful people in basketball yep. history. Not player, not GM, not analyst not coach people this guy's won what eight nine rings combined you have all that together you're not beating that mm. and so yes it would make a ton of sense for them to get back together because it made no sense for katie to leave in the first place is it snake in the grass shit yeah he should have never went there in the first place but he did and they had an immediate and insane consistent success with or without him in the lineup i might add and it, 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 to me, though, it's not going to happen because I also believe as much as KD's trying to deny it on Twitter by saying that legacy doesn't matter, legacy 100% matters, and it matters to Kevin Durant. You know why I know that? Because he's out there defending himself against ni people with 19 followers on Twitter. The man cares what people think. He's not going back to that. It, it, it would make sense, yes. Yeah. And he probably should if he wants to have more success. 
but he's not going to do it. I don't know where he's going to go because the teams that make that make sense in theory can't trade for him. Unless Ben Simmons traded here, which no one's trading for Ben Simmons. Unless Bam Adebayo chooses to leave Miami or Miami wants to get rid of him for whatever reason. Booker can't be traded from Phoenix. I have no idea where Kevin Durant's going to go. But I do know, I, I, I shouldn't say I do know because I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up going there. I feel very confident he won't for those very reasons. Because he goes back, everyone's going to forever... Because right now people already call him like, oh, he only won because Steph Curry. And Steph Curry's won a title with or without him twice. Or won two titles before him and after him. And a finals MVP, I might add. If he goes back there again for the second time, no matter how much Kevin Durant accomplishes, he will forever be known as a sidekick to Steph Curry. And I don't think he wants that. If he goes and plays another three or four great seasons and potentially gets himself a title with a team that is more of his team... That changes his legacy, and that matters to him. So I don't see it happening. Anybody who knows basketball knows he would never be the psychic on the actual basketball court uh, because everyone knows that KD is the better player. But it, optically, for the casual fan, and for and once history becomes history, it's going to look that way, and that is legacy. Yeah. Right. So I think he would want to want to avoid that. Granted, I think I think Golden State. There's there's been no offers putting out there. Nothing like this is all fan speculation at this point. Bob Myers, though the the owner or not the owner, but the GM of the Warriors did say he is gonna. He didn't say no. He didn't close that but window. Neither did Steph. There's Steph, been but no yeah. official offers. No, no, no yeah, and, and the yeah. Warriors do have a lot they could package together, and they have a lot of young with Wiseman. They have the best return. Kaminga, Wiseman, Wigman, Picks. Wiggins, Picks. Yeah. They could easily yeah. do that. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, it would be well worth it because that's damn near a shoe in to be in the finals again. That would be. I mean, that was the <laughs> yeah. greatest com- combination of talent and shooting. Arsenal we've ever seen. It or was, ever it was an unstoppable see. force. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the fucking Celtics, the best defense in the without yeah, but, Kevin but Durant. But I will say too, in the NBA, you don't see outside of LeBron's unique situation where he went back to Cleveland and, and won a ring, uh, like he promised, and fulfilled the contract like he does every single one of them. Um, outside of that unique situation with LeBron going back to Cleveland, we don't see players return back to where they were or where they came from or where they won at previous. Uh, points in their career that just doesn't happen uh, for stars they don't typically go back anywhere granted KD's a different cat um so he can I, I anything he does will not surprise me the dude's done whatever he, um that's why the legacy thing with him I kind of believe him sometimes but I do get what you're saying I I, I feel the same way but it being trying to get in KD's head is a is damn near impossible the way that guy thinks and portrays himself um but yeah I don't think he's gonna go back to, to Golden State uh, I think there's other opportunities for winning purposes that makes the most sense. I mean, he's that's the best place he could probably go to win outside of maybe the Lakers with AD and, and LeBron, but AD would probably have to go in that pack of some sort. But if, if the Lakers figure out a way to get Kyrie and KD, that's probably the best situation for him to I go I would trade AD for KD yesterday. 100%. Oh. I mean, you know he's going to play. You know, that's, yesterday. That's, that's important. Uh, yeah, and he's he's just a better the, player. He's just the better player, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean... I don't, the Warriors thing, I don't think it's going to happen. I think that bridge is burnt, regardless of what you think the, the, the relationship between him and Draymond and all those guys. I think they're fine. I just think between the organization and KD and what he did, he did go over there and win chips. Uh, uh, so that's a, that's a definitely a thing. That's you know that's like Tyreek kind of coming back. We As fans, we would love to have Tyreek back maybe after a couple seasons or something like that. Well, I'm not ruling that out. I'm that just could, saying, that could definitely happen, yeah. but I think, I, think, I think there are certain bridges that are probably burnt and – I think KD wants to do something different. I don't think he wants to go back to, to Golden State. Um, I think he wants to try to, you know... I Honestly, <laughs> I can sit there and ramble on about what I think KD is going to do. I have no fucking idea what this guy's going to do. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up with the Knicks or something like this, some random shit. Like, he stays in New York, but this is not with the Nets, with the Knicks or some weird shit. I don't know what this guy's going to do. There are multiple opportunities, and teams are, you know, obviously 
chomping at the bit to get him. That's still a guy that's still very much playing high-profile football or basketball uh, and, and still very much arguably a top three, top two player in this league still. Um, well, I, you weren't here a couple episodes ago, but I, I broke this down to Eddie, and I, and I was just basically trying to just, just like do the math by addition and subtraction when it comes to a, a landing spot. I'm not trying to delve off too far from what your question was, Eddie, but if you just look at the league in its totality and the opportunities that Kevin Durant has there for trades, because he's going to have to sign off to wherever he goes. He doesn't technically have the trade no trade clause, mm-hmm. but he went to Joe Sy, the owner of the Nets, and I think that Joe Sy would do him good because when you have a prolific superstar player like Kevin Durant and you fuck him over and you you don't do what he's asking, that's gonna not that's not going to bode well for you for future superstars to come to your franchise and to stay with your franchise. Yeah. So I think Joe Sy will do it correctly. But my point, though, in all this is, if just like I said, you look at the Heat, they can't right now accommodate a trade for, for Kevin Durant and give the Nets what they want. And the Nets don't want to keep him in the East. And, well, that's also a thing. Yeah. But then, like, the, the, the Suns, another team that would be great for Kevin Durant, can't accommodate that either because Devin Booker would have to be in that trade. They're not going to give up, like, oh, yeah. Mikhail Bridges. And they're and, trying to, yeah, they're trying they're to They're not going to give up, like, small swing, yeah. like Johnson and a couple picks. Now, they can give them a lot of picks, but the Nets have already made it clear they want multiple All-Stars. If you really do look at it, the Lakers make the most the sense. The Lakers are the only team that can really accommodate that type. Outside of maybe the Warriors, the Warriors don't have two superstars to trade for him, mm. but they do have Wiggins, a proven winner now, who's a good, really good first overall pick player yeah. who's only 27. Jordan Poole, a really good shooter. Kaminga, who's got a ton of promise. I don't know what he's going to be, but he's got promise. Good defensive player. And then they can give yeah. up a couple picks. Now, those yeah. picks won't be great because of the fact that the Warriors are always in contention, and they'll be like 27 to 30th overall, yeah, which usually don't get great players in that still position. still got the nucleus there, man. But yeah. outside of the Warriors... The only team, like I presented this to you, Eddie. I'm not saying it's going to yeah. happen. No, it, yeah, it's true. But AD and Russell Westbrook, and we all know Kyrie's going to be a Laker. That's just bound to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. He has no trade value to begin with. Right. So he's kind of like a throw in at this he's point. In crazy. LA right as now. crazy he's as that in, sounds, yeah. yeah, he's doing the Drew League thing. Yeah. But as crazy as this sounds, Kyrie is a throw in. And you then, so essentially the trade is for Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook and two first round picks for Kevin Durant. Well, what other trade realistically could happen that's better than that? And there's the narrative too that exists still that no one's kind of everyone's kind of brushed off to the side after once the all the the New York stuff, uh, all the nets broke down and we all knew they were parting ways. The narrative from the get go when they parted when they this all blew up was KD and Kyrie still wanted to play basketball together, just somewhere else. So maybe KD's waiting, uh, yeah, to you know say hey, all right, trade me now, get your Kyrie to see shit where Kyrie out. ultimately lads, and I think it's obviously going to be LA. And who wouldn't take AD? I mean, I know he's had his injuries, but I mean, you, you still take AD, a guy that's still in his prime, very much in the thick of his prime. And I will say this too: I don't blame the Nets for staying for making the stance they have of shooting high. It's no different than contract disputes. If, if, if we we're talking about like money and everything like that earlier with Orlando Brown Jr. Orlando Burr Jr. and the Nets would be idiots to not ask for the most. That's business. You ask for the most, knowing that more than likely you're going to meet, get met right here. Yeah, but that's still high. that's still winning because you know you're not getting this. Yeah. And if you do, then holy shit, that's awesome. Yeah, you know but, you're not this. Yeah, not going to be way down here. So you're looking for something realistic that's right sales here. One on one. You know what this is right here? Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, and two first-round picks. That's what it sounds I Again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. Obviously, I would love for it to happen because I'm a LeBron guy. I would love to see LeBron and KD play together. But my uh, yeah. point, though, is is that I can't realistically find a better trade scenario that that is going to happen. I just don't see it. And Brian Windhorst, who is as efficient with his words and his reporting as anyone yeah. in sports, let alone basketball, stated this himself. Yeah. He goes, the Lakers are prepared to put together a trade package, which would probably also uh, uh, include uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, who's a guy that a lot of people are big on. He's only like 22 years old who yeah. can score. 
he could be another piece they would put together in that as well. I think the Lakers at this point, knowing where they stand with draft picks and knowing who their star player is and what advanced age he is, this is the trade that makes the most sense for both sides. The Nets can get themselves two proven commodities with Russell Westbrook having an expired contract they can get out of, maybe buy him out and let him walk away, and then you have that money back, and you have Anthony Davis to build your team around with multiple picks. Sure. It makes a lot of sense, man. Yeah. And the Lakers just got Kobe again, so... Well, oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> that kid looks just like him, man. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> crazy, to be honest, yeah. man. That was crazy. So they got young Kobe again. So That's we'll wild, see. Man. We'll see what happens with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question. I know we don't talk about wrestling here, but obviously the reports are that WWE is going is going away from PG, which to me is about damn time. It it, it went PG. I be I believe in like oh seven oh eight, and from then it just went fucking terrible. So. Well, I want to get your thoughts on that. You think uh, wrestling, WWE, uh, should go back to TV 14 or should stay in the PG? You know when they say that you know you leave you know, childish things in your childhood? Uh, I stopped watching wrestling in 07, which was my senior year in high school. And coincidentally, that's when, you, like you said, the PG era began. And how fitting was it for me? I, I moved on from childish things because WWE got childish. And I was no longer a child. I was graduating high school. So it was a great transition for me. But, man, do I miss the Attitude Era. Man, do I miss the times when you had Stone Cold Steve Austin, Kurt Angle, Rock, Triple H, Chris Jericho, uh, the Hardy Boys, Dudleys, Undertaker, Kane, all those, Booker T, all those guys. That Attitude Era of just gritty and raw, literally Monday Night Raw style of, of wrestling. I don't think they can ever recapture that magic because that was just in its own separate time and entity, and there was a lot more they can get away with, especially when it came to like the sexuality of, of it. I don't think they could ever get away with that now in more of a cancel culture, woke generation we're in now. But if they could get close... Eddie, they got themselves a fan again. I, I'm a free agent here, okay? I, I'm not I'm not with AEW. I'm not with uh, any of these other leagues. But if the WWE is recruiting me again, Eddie, I'm willing to listen. You know, I'm not going to ask for Orlando Brown Jr. type money. I'm just going to be like, hey, give me some good fucking quality here, and I'll watch it again. I will. I would legitimately watch wrestling again if they if this is a real thing. I When I saw that, we talked about it initially or immediately, and I got excited because I do miss wrestling. But I can't watch it in, in the way that – in the format that it's been in and, and really buy in because it just doesn't really – meet it doesn't really meet me halfway you know what i mean it's not really something i'm interested in but they get a little bit more gritty start having a few more customers here and there more bloody fights and tlc matches stuff like that again then we're talking man then I, then you and i probably watch monday night raw together again man i i would love for this to happen i still won't watch it um, <laughs> I, I, I just I, I don't know man I, I that's just that stuff's kind of behind me i still like i enjoy like the characters and stuff and the personalities yeah. of it but I, I it's just never something i'm going to put in my program where i sit and watch it but i do think that's the that's that's a turn in the right direction though for kind of recapturing that attitude of the of the you know what that sport really is about and the, you know uh the more of the adult side of it. That's what. Yeah. That's what it was. Always, that was when it was at, at its best for sure. From the seventies all the way to like the early two thousands, was like the the greatest stretch of wrestling. And now it's just kind of become this AEW watered down kind of stuff. Well, I know the AEW is still much loved, and that's that's more kind of capturing what the old wrestling was about. Um, but the new, you know, Raw and SmackDown, all that stuff has kind of been, from what I know and what I've heard, has been kind of Disney for a while now, and yeah. it's kind of you know. Can't be no blood. Yeah, so bringing some more attitude back to the sport and the and the show and the the um, just the writing and everything kind of get a little more gritty and more raw. I think is only good for the fan base, um, and I think that's what you know that's what the 
obviously what they're going for here. So, but me personally, yeah, I'm not. I'm still not a wrestling guy. I haven't really been for a long time since I was a kid. But for the fans like you and everybody else that you know might jump back on that bandwagon, that's awesome. I mean, go for it. I know a lot, I have a lot of my buddies that are still very much into it, and they're all stoked about this as well. So, yeah, I'm into it. I'm just not that invested into it. I do occasionally catch a Monday Night Raw every now and then. I do occasionally watch like sure Friday Night SmackDown. <laughs> uh, but the but what I focus the what I focus the most on is like the pay per view events. Like yeah. those are like because they usually tend to have the best fights, the best the matches. celebrities every once in a while. But yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. So I tend to just stick to uh, pay per views and watch that. Uh, then watching uh, weekly episodes because yeah. of the PG stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it's. Uh, I didn't think about it until, like, I started watching, like, uh, highlights of what's been happening throughout this year on Monday Night Raw. And it's slowly escalating that way because uh, recently Paul Heyman, I'm sure you guys know who yeah, Paul Heyman absolutely. is. Uh, he's the Brock Lesnar's hype guy, basically. Yeah, yeah. and now he's Roman Reigns' uh, hype guy. So he came out and he told uh, Brock Lesnar, which caught, it, it made Brock Lesnar chuckle because he was like, oh, shit, we're going here? I was like, and he Brock Lesnar, like, you can see his reaction was like, like what's happening right now? Because uh, he says like uh, Roman Reigns is gonna fucking shove your shove his end up your ass, grab your heart, and take it out <laughs> uh, on live TV, and everybody and he, like wait a second, what is this? <laughs> and you should see Brock Lesnar's reaction. He was like, was <laughs> like oh shit, we're saying this. So I never really paid attention until like just recently, and I'm like, huh. It's like okay, so I guess they're hinting into it. You know That's what I awesome, mean? That's awesome, man. So I really hope this this does happen because WWE needs it a lot. Uh, as messed up as it sounds, blood makes that the matches more interesting. Absolutely. It makes it makes it better. Like seeing them, the guys like all covered in blood. It, even if it's fake blood, it's still it's still. Sometimes it's not. Yeah, sometimes they cut. Well, they cut themselves, mm -hmm. but. It, it makes the the match more entertaining. You're like, oh fuck, who's gonna faint first? Right, right. <laughs> all, all the blood. So I can't, I can't wait for that, man. I hope it really does happen. I hope it it, it happens, and and they they're allowed to do that with Fox, and then their pay per views as well with NBC. So hopefully, hopefully we get we get stuff like that. Oh yeah. Uh, next question. I'll get to the rules after this one. So Hill Tyreek Hill on his podcast. Uh, uh, said that uh, that the that he sees that the weapons from the 2019 Chiefs and uh, the 22, 2022 Dolphins weapons are exactly the same. Yeah. Thoughts? Um, I, I think at this point, Tyreek is fully aware of what he's doing. I think he always has been because he's not an idiot. Uh, I think he can be kind of dumb sometimes when it comes to to certain aspects of of common sense. But I think that um, I think he's leaning into it now. Uh, the, the, I heard a funny thing. Somebody's calling him Tyree Heel now because he's turned just full heel. Um, I think I really do. I think he's just gotten to a place now where he knows he's this is getting him attention, and now he's just saying whatever the hell he wants to say just to get more of it. I, and I get it because human beings, for some reason, we crave attention. We love like we. I mean, let's be real here. We're doing this show because we like people to listen to what we have to say, and we want to. Hear what other people have to say. We like the attention of, that it brings. It's 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 a commonality amongst human beings, especially here in America. And it, I th I think it's funny he's saying this because it's obviously wrong. He's obviously not. It's not true. Jalen Waddle is a great wide receiver. That kid is a is, has a promising career. Outside of him, like they have good pieces like Gasecki and guys like that. 
Um, the Chiefs' offense in 2019 had one of the most star-studded and prolific and exciting and dynamic offenses in recent memory. I, I don't know if you guys remember, man, but the, you saw what they did in that postseason run. They didn't have a game under 30 points. Under thir- four games in the playoffs, they scored 51 against the Texans, 35 against the Texans or Titans, and then what, 31 against the uh, San Francisco 49ers, who was one of the greatest defenses of the last decade, maybe more. That was that offense. Now, unless I'm mistaken here, because I, I saw another guy, I think his name's like Finland on Twitter. He was putting that out there about he was agreeing with what Tyree Kill was saying, and he brought all these comparisons and try to say that Cedric Wilson's better than McCole Hardman. Now, like, look, McCole Hardman isn't this great player. We've talked about this. We know what he is. But it's hilarious that he brought the 2019 McCole Hardman in a comparison to Cedric Wilson, who's going into year four, because in, that was McCole Hardman's rookie season as, like, wide receiver three and four, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't even a second option in this offense. Sometimes not even the third. Yet, in his rookie season, had only 144 fewer yards than Cedric Wilson had in his third NFL season. And that was with Dak Prescott knowing that he was getting a lot of opportunities because guys like Amari Cooper had a COVID, COVID issues. CeeDee Lamb was still figuring out his way into the offense. He had a lot of inconsistencies. And Cedric Wilson could only have 144 more yards than McCall Harbin had in his rookie season. I just find that very comical that we're like bringing up guys and trying to draw comparisons and just throw names in there because it makes sense. It's like when Stephen A. Smith was talking about the Chargers and, and, and uh, Chiefs uh, matchup three years ago. And he goes, you know, I look at Derrick Johnson and I look at Hunter Henry and I look at... Like, dude, those guys... Hunter Henry's injured and Derrick Johnson's retired. You're just throwing names out there just to make it sound like you know what you're talking about. Just because you can name names doesn't mean you know what is actually going on or what is and what isn't. You can just name names. I can just start naming people. I can start naming actors. That doesn't mean I know what they're accomplishing are or whether they had good movies or not. Yeah, you know, Robert Redford and Brad Pitt and Denzel Washington. Like, I'm just saying things. I'm just putting out words. So, the Dolphins have a talented nucleus. Sure. But to try to make the comparison, the only reason the comparison's being made is because Tyreek Hill, who was on that Chiefs team, is, is saying these things. There's no actual substance to it. He's just saying stuff. And ironically, the name of his podcast, it had to be said. Well, what you're saying is just a load of shit, man. You're just throwing stuff. Because he doesn't have actually any content. Think about it. He started this whole podcast based upon him basically and essentially talking shit about how things ended with him and the Chiefs. There's been no football talk. There's been no substance. He's just saying stuff. And that is just on brand at this point. And he's just leaning in. So I almost respect it because it is pathetic. It's stupid. It's useless fodder. But at least he knows what his brand is. And to this point, it's working because he's got shows across the board from our level to levels way beyond that are talking about it. So congratulations to Tyreek on this. But no, 100% no. There's no comparison between the two teams. Yeah, he went way even further than I. this even deserves. Uh, and, uh, like what? This is such a moot talking point. Like it, 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 these two offenses can't even be compared because of the quarterback difference here. Like we're, what are we doing? Like the, all you need to talk about is Tua and Patrick Mahomes. Like that's that ends the conversation right there. Like there's no there's no comparison. This has never been an explosive offense, even before Tyreek was there. They had some good. They have good players in this team, but to be an explosive offense, you need a quarterback that can make explosive plays, and that's not Tua. Okay, like what are we doing here? This is not even a. There's not even a parallel, any parallel you can find. There's not. Tyreek is literally just clout chasing and and banking off of the Chiefs' greatness they had over there, 
still using that as a talking point because that's where he was before. This is it's a, this is a tired. This is going to get tired so fast, and I don't, that's why I don't really believe in the the future. And I'm not trying to diss Tyreek Hill. I still love him deeply. That's why I just question the, the the further future success of this podcast because I think once these talking points kind of become a thing, and the and the and the the Dolphins are like a so so team. This is going to become one of those things that it's just like it gets tired. Are we going to bring up the Chiefs? Are you going to talk about the Super Bowl run like in four, four or five years and how great it was and maybe bring up some dirt that somebody said in the locker room at one point? Like, what are you going to – the talking points are all still Kansas City-based. It's embarrassing, to be, to, if I'm being honest. Like, talk about something new, man. What are you doing right now? Like, what – Chief all, name all, is still all, his all, Yeah, all the, all the clips and all the main talking points are still about Kansas City. And I get it. It's still fresh right now. But, like, you really, you're still trying to, like, make – this Kansas City 2.0, like you're trying to make this Dolphins team the Chiefs 2.0, and like you're really trying to convince people of that shit. Stop it, dude. That is not what this is. What we built in Kansas City was extremely unique and individualized amongst itself. Yep. That's over. The Tyreek Hill explosive era for the Chiefs is over. But don't you dare try to compare the quarterback prowess and the, and the explosiveness of Travis Kelsey and the consistency of Travis Kelsey and the leadership of Coach Reed and all these things to what Miami is right and now. McCall Harbin, Cedric Wilson, damn it. Y'all are a, Give my boy McCall some respect. Y'all are a, trying to build something and don't try to like make something that it's not. I mean, you guys may be good this year. They, that, they may surprise people this year. Or they may extremely be underwhelming. Who knows? But don't try to, you know, put the cart before the horse, man. Like, this is... That's yeah, Mike McGaino might be a good coach. For sure. But is he Andy Reid? Hey, look, man. Look, bro. I'm, I'm rooting just saying. for them. I'm rooting for Tyreek Hill. Because I, I would like to see the, the Dolphins win that division. How exciting would that be? I, I'm still my, very much a Tyreek Hill fan. And see them go into the playoffs and maybe face the Chiefs. You know how fucking awesome that would be? How dope that would be? That's be just, electric. That'd be something that would happen, and I, I would. I would be as, as skill sets put fan, on the put on the platform yeah, at that point. As a football fan, that's something I would like to see. Whatever, but like, yeah. I hope nothing but success for Tyreek. But bro, keep KC out of your mouth, bro. You left. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's enough, enough of that. They have to face the 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 Bills twice. Well, they're in the division, so yeah, yeah. of course. The, yeah. Like, yeah. you have to play the like you have you have to beat the Bills, and they got smoked both times last year against the Bills. I mean, smoked. Like, you have to like beat the Bills. To even think about winning your division, mm-hmm. I just feel like he's, he's, he's well, I, still hanging, swinging by the nutsack of KC yeah. and the success well, I, he had there to have these talking points. It's there's like, a bro. wall in front of him. He's got a handful of shit, and he's just chucking that yeah. shit. What I love, what, sticks. what I love so much about this is that it's adding so much spotlight to Miami. Pressure. That if, that oh, yeah. if they underperform, Two was like, God damn it, dude. Yeah, like, like if they underperform, <laughs> holy shit, Twitter's gonna <laughs> be fucking. Savages and take it to the Kansas City side because you kept saying like you know Kansas City's and you know he keeps the Chiefs name yeah. in his mouth. Yeah, we know one thing, man. We have Petty Patrick here, and we know Bro. that he loves to pay attention to the cliff notes. Absolutely. And, and you, you're gonna tell me right now, a teammate of his that he had high level of success with for four years and was a teammate with him for five years, saying some of the things he's saying. Now Patrick will downplay it to the to the media and to in front of the viewing audience. Oh, comparing but him to two is an insult. I mean, let's let I, I'm, I'm holding insult. back my excitement because we have our prediction show coming up <clears> in about what ten weeks or so. But man, I'm telling you guys right now, I I think scorched earth is coming. I'm going to tell you guys right now. I really I, wish they were on our schedule. There, there's year. a lot that Patrick Mahomes still feels in himself he wants to prove because everyone keeps talking. What's the oh, talking yeah. point? It's been it's been mentioned twice, two or three times more than Devontae Adams leaving Green Bay, mm. who was their only <clears throat> legitimate receiving weapon. For sure. Talking about, oh, you know, well, what can Patrick do without Tyreek Hill? Ah, man, I'm telling you guys right now, Patrick Mahomes is hell-bent on proving that immediately. Not in a couple years. 
immediately what he can do without Tyreek Hill. In fact, I think he's already done it, but in a larger scale. <clears throat> what I love also is that people people are like thinking Juju, MVS, all these players are just scrubs. Yeah, that's funny too, isn't it? They forget that Travis Kelsey's still there. Juju is a, a great receiver. And Sky Moore is going to be one of those like dark horse they, contributors. Those that people nobody, that go, yeah, yeah, those players that nobody's expecting. Yep. And, dude, I'm so fucking excited for the season. <laughs> uh, I'm more excited for Patrick Mahomes this season just because I want him to shut that narrative down. Of still well, nice, you have still you have nice Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Oh, you, well, you had Tyreek Hill. Blah blah blah. That's why you won the Super Bowl. You had success. I can't wait for him to shut it down and start the one where. Well, he has Juju and MVS. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for that to switch. I I'm I'm looking forward to this shit so much. I told you guys, I'm, Patrick I'm Mahomes. Excited. Patrick Mahomes has 28 passing <clears throat> touchdowns in his playoff career. Only five of them gone to Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Yeah. He has. He know he only has one Granted. fewer touchdown pass yeah. to Byron Pringle in the playoffs than Tyreek Hill. Granted, having Tyreek Hill out there, that presence alone takes away defensive. Like we, we've talked Attention, about, for sure. I think I think it was either Charles Goldman or somebody else that came on our show. I hate to not credit them properly, but this is true. This offense will not be more dynamic this year. They lost the dynamics, but could they be just as good, if not better, as it a could, whole? It could be yes. more, more effective. Yes, the dynamics because Tyreek Hill just. Yeah. He has this elite ability where he can run a five-yard slant and take yeah. it to the house. Ripping your soul out of your ass. You don't have guys like that yeah. right now, at least not at the mm-hmm. level. Like, Juju can do it at times. We've seen him do it in the past. MBS, obviously. Sky Moore has that ability. Guys like that have that ability. Yeah. But Tyreek is just a unicorn, so you're losing that. But when it comes to overall better, deeper offense, I think the Chiefs are going to have Like that. the way we won that Buffalo game in the, in the postseason, a lot of wins like that probably won't come because of the Tyreek Hill plays and the massive, yeah. you know, Deuces type of plays where he's you know giving guys the deuces before the win passes. in a different way. Yeah, so we'll. But I mean, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, stop talking about Casey, bro. I mean, it's, it's getting tired. <laughs> we'll keep already. doing it. Just you know, give our guy more fuel to the fire. You know, I'm good with that. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. All right. Next question. This comes with two questions, so we'll focus on 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 the ten players first, and then we'll focus on what one player said yeah. afterwards. So, ten players from the Royals did not travel to Toronto because they are not vaccinated. Thoughts on that? Uh, I was I was shocked by the the number of players because I knew across the league there's still guys that are unvaccinated. Um, I was shocked by the number. I did not realize there were ten players, and it wasn't just ten players. There's also a number of coaches on the staff as well. Cal Eldred, their uh, their uh, I think that's he's their pitching coach. Yeah, he um, he wasn't vaccinated either. Um, so I was surprised by that. The biggest surprise is the fact that. Going into the season and even last season, the shortened season, they knew that this was the case with Toronto, just like it's on the flip side for the Blue Jays going to America. It's the same thing. It's the same rule. It just depends on what side of the border you're on and how you have to attend. I don't think you have to be vaccinated to get into the U.S. Yes, you do. Yeah, you do? Yeah, you do? yeah. Toronto, the Toronto Blue Jays players have to be vaccinated okay. to play in the States. So it's the same. Go ahead, do it. Sorry. If, if you're a citizen, you don't yes. have to be vaccinated. But it, but if you're not a citizen, okay. you have – and obviously we know baseball is a lot more international players than oh, they are yeah. citizens. So. For yeah. instance, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You know, he had to get vaccinated. So, so yeah, yeah. Okay. So th- that that's the part that surprised me was just the number. I knew there were players, I just didn't know that many. And um, 
I'm I'm giving the Royals a lot of credit here, the players that actually got to play that first game with the Blue Jays, because there were like I think five six call ups that came up and immediately made impact. The kid Eaton mm-hmm. hit that 420 foot uh, home run, run his first ever at bat in the yeah. majors. Yeah, exactly. So like I'm gonna give them credit for that. He was but eaten the, the, <laughs> literally, and I I think that was that was really cool to see. But yeah, the, the number absolutely was astounding to me because yeah. I don't think I think they had the most players that were because going into Toronto. This season, there were only 25 total players in the majors that couldn't play in Toronto. The the Royals had 10 of them, mm. so that's a lot. That's a, that's a whole lot. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not honestly not surprised by it. A lot was, there was a shit ton of baseball players I didn't want to get vaccinated even last season. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know I'm pro vaccination, but I'm also pro the, the individual. But that is an overwhelming amount of players uh, oh, that. I am. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. My body, my choice. Right. Um, God damn it. Welcome to our political um, show. Yeah. We don't take anything seriously here. Uh, um, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely an issue. Um, yeah. I mean, this is not surprising me. The, the Royals continue to lose in many different ways. Um, this is just another strategy of uh, losing. So, I mean, granted, granted, they found a way to win those, that game, and when they went up there, uh, well, how many games did they play up there? They played two. Well, they've played two so far. They have two more. So it was it's a four a four game four, stand. Okay, and they won one, lost one. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, they yeah. got whooped last night. I think it was yeah. like eight to one or something like that. That's been yeah, that's been most of the season for them. <laughs> the Ro- yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a. I mean, I'm honestly not surprised. To be, if I'm being honest, like I'm not surprised that is a, that is an outstanding amount of players and, co- and coaches and individuals on that list that couldn't make the trip because of that reason. There's fear around the vaccine for whatever reason, um, rather than being feared of, of, of the illness or what the possible things that, that could happen to you if you're not vaccinated. There's less fear around that for some reason amongst a lot of these people than there is actually getting the jab, you know, what they would call it. And there's just so much people want to say that they're, you know, they're they're pushing fear to get vaccinated, but a lot of people are fearing the wrong things, and it's just a whole other. I, I I'm definitely give people power to have their own opinions and think of what they want to think, but logic has to come into play at some point. And I mean, if you're going to be a professional athlete and you know you're going to travel internationally to play games, you're putting your team at a disadvantage by you know being selfish in a way. Um, granted, you have your own morals and your own beliefs and your own ways of doing things, but yeah, I mean, it's just a it's a silly thing to see, honestly, that many that many grown people um, not wanting to. You know, take part and put you know the team on on, on uh, as a priority um, to be able to to play in those games and be able to go internationally. Um, but yeah, not much more to add to that, honestly. Right. Now my next question is on uh, well one one of those players that did not make Here the trip that did not make the trip made. Um, and I and, and and this is what he said, and I quote: "Right or wrong, I didn't do it on a whim." Uh, it's been a long thought process because I understand what Canada has in place right now. That's the only reason that I would think about getting it at, at this point is to go to Canada. That might change down the road. Something happens and I happen to get on a team that has a chance to play in Canada in the postseason. Maybe that changes. But as we sit here right now, I'm comfortable in my decision. My teammates support me, support the rest of the guys in here who have made that decision. And that's that. <clears throat> Um, Trevor, Eddie, we've all, we've all played competitive sports at one point of our lives. And we know that whether we were playing for tons of money or just because we were kids and we loved the game. And I think the the end goal was to win, right? Like we all wanted to win trophies and we all wanted to have fun with our friends. And, um, something that's important in, in the process of doing those things is having 
a unified front an understanding of what the the common goal is here and what we all strive to have which is success and to have fun together um whit merrifield's been with the royals now for 12 years he's been with the in the majors i think since was it 2016 or 2017 and he's been a really good player and as time has gone on in the era with low Kane and haas and moose and all those guys started to go away the Whit Merrifield era began and he became one of the clubhouse leaders and one of the guys that people looked up to and there became a responsibility to be a, a leader of sorts on uh, for the, some of these young guys that are coming up like Bobby Witt and Vinny Vascontino and these other guys that, that, that are going to lead the next generation of Royals at least for the next three or four years and I'll say this because we've had our discussions on this show before about the vaccination and, and where players stand and where people stand as a whole. I do support the idea that you have your right to to the choice of, of taking it or not taking it. I believe that you have that right, obviously. Um, do I think it's reckless and irresponsible to not get it because of what we know this virus can do and how other people are put in danger and put in harm's way, even if you're a fully healthy individual? Sure. I think that is irresponsible. That's just my own personal opinion. The problem I have with Whit Merrifield in this isn't even about the politicized part of it. It's about the team aspect. We're talking about a guy that literally in the quote himself stated that he is aware of the situation. He's done his own research, and I love that statement, by the way. But he's done his own, and he knows what he what what what, what is re required of him in order to play in Toronto. Not so much the fact this guy played over 540 straight games, so he had a streak going, one of the longest streaks in baseball. I think it might have been the longest streak in baseball. He was a durability guy. He at one point he played center field for the Royals, I believe last season. He played center field when he couldn't lift his right arm above his head. He was doing whatever it took to play, except this. And what's funny is that he makes this statement. He naturally receives backlash from fans, from media, from his teammates, and then wants to backtrack that and say that's not what he meant. But the first sentence of the quote is him saying he's aware of the situation. He knows what he's doing. Mm. And he states in that, con in that quote right there that the reason he hasn't done it to this point or would consider doing it is if he played for a better team. It's clear as day that Witt wanted to be traded this year. It's clear as day. He's 33 years old now. He's no longer at the, bat, at the best part of his game. He's no longer at the peak. He wants to win. Cool. But you're telling your current teammates, you're not good enough for me to do what's responsible. You guys are the reason why I'm not doing what scientifically is proven to do and better everyone's life, including my own, it's, it, you're not worth that. And if I played for a better team, I would do that. That's the only reason I'm upset about this. He can have his opinion. It can be ignorant. It can be whatever it is. But that's not what I'm upset about. I'm upset about the fact that this guy who claims to be a good teammate, who claims to be a leader, isn't doing the basics of what those things entail. To be a good teammate. To be a leader. Because now forever, I can never sit here and definitively say, and I could before this, that Whit Merrifield is a team first guy. Is a guy, And it's funny too. Because people love guys that are team first. And all about the team. And sacrificing for the team. Putting themselves on the line. Putting your body on the line. This is why he's getting that backlash. Because those same people are like, well, hold on. If this team isn't good enough... And you're not getting it because of that reason. How can I definitively tell that you're a true leader, you're a true teammate? Don't backtrack because you, there's no taking that back. It's not like he's saying, I don't believe in the science, and then says, you know, I didn't really mean it that way. I'm just saying I have questions. That's fair. 
I could see that. I could see somebody saying that's fair because of the fact that there are questions out there about the vaccine in its entirety. I understand that. But when you're sitting here saying that it's because of the competition level your team represents to you and how you want potentially be on another team and then you would consider it, that tells me that it's really just about it's an inconvenience to you because you don't think this team's worth it. And if let's be real here. If Whit Merrifield hadn't gotten backlash, do you really think he's apologizing for those statements? That's the only reason he's even apologizing to begin with. That's why he went on 610 yesterday yeah, with Cody Tapp and sat there and tried to, you know, backpedal and Michael Jackson that shit and moonwalk it all back. You can't because the statement is clear as day that you are claiming to be a knowledgeable individual about this and you're saying that the reason you're doing it is because of competition. There are no backtracking of that. You cannot walk that one back. And if I'm the Royals, I have to severely and considerably or strongly consider getting him out of my ball club. Not that they're going to all of a sudden be a good team this year. This team sucks. But this team is a team that's trying to build for the future. Do you really want that to be in your culture? Do you really want that to be around these young guys? That type of guy that's been in the majors, been in the show for years now, a representation, an anchor, a titan of your franchise to be around young dudes like that, impressionable minds, guys that are trying to learn this game. We listen to Pat Mahomes on our show talk about the guys he tried to learn from and how hard it was to get information from some of these guys and how that made him want to be a better player. That's certain individuals. Some players, that could really mess that could really mess with their careers. That could really make them wonder if this is really what they want to do. That can mess with confidence because we all know baseball is a superstitious sport. You could really alter the lives of other players. Do you really want that around your guys? Dayton Moore trying to defend them, of course. You know, trying to make it sound like, oh, that's not what he really meant. Yes, it is. Own it. Lean into what you're saying. If you're going to be a dipshit, be a dipshit. And stand by it. So I got strong opinions on it, as you guys can clearly tell. I didn't like it. Obviously, I'm a vac. I'm a pro vaccination person, but that's not even why I'm upset. I'm just upset at the reasoning behind why Witt stood where he stood. Uh, I mean, I I can respect honesty and transparency, and I think if he would have stuck by his original quote and that's just who he was and how he felt, I'm cool with that. As as, as a fan, as a free thinking individual, I. I that's who you are don't backpedal don't back don't you know don't try to play it down and and try to defend yourself and defend your comments that you said because you said what you said um it is scientifically it is inconsistent what's going on with the the borders and stuff like that because there are no more mass mandates herd immunity is pretty much set in there's been so many different variants and everyone's pretty much had it at this point so having to get vaccinated at this point is kind of a silly thing if we're being honest i get going across borders and things like that but i mean as far as I mean, he lives in a country there. There's no mass mandates, and you don't have to be vaccinated to play the game he's playing right now within the country he's in. So I get it. If he's going to skip the Canada trip, it is what it is. But to make a comment like that, for that being your reasoning why, it is a little silly, and it is a little elementary. Uh, and then to, to, to back off of it just kind of shows that your lack of nutsack, if I'm being honest with you. That's the problem I have with him. Your personal opinions on your personal health, because I do believe anyone's individual personal health and wellness comes before any team sport. And I love team sports, but that that's that's some, that's one thing that is prioritized over any job, any team sport. If my job is inflicting uh, uh, negatively upon my personal health, I will question that job and maybe look elsewhere to do something else. This is his profession. This is his job. This is a game that fans love and enjoy. But to be the guy that's supposed to be the face and the leader of this team to say comments like that, we've seen guys like LeBron and Kobe and all the. We've seen Kobe be extremely harsh on his teammates and his team, saying straight up saying that we suck uh, and not celebrating with guys after wins and things like that. Just being, you know, leadership's different. Everyone's leadership styles vary, um, but his reasoning for this, and this is obviously different than those situations with Kobe and LeBron and being harsh on his own teams and things like that. 
um, this is a different level because this is like political and scientific and, and a lot of things tied to this. Uh, and he wasn't alone. Obviously, there was a lot of people on this team that weren't vaccinated and made that choice, so on and so forth. And I, I am a believer that there are other, other ways to combat the, the virus and things like that. But that's neither here nor there. That's not the conversation at hand. And I get it. Um, but the, the question the, or the, the, his statement being at, at question here is the problem and him trying to, you know, make it right for what he said and things like that. If you're, it's, you got to stick to your guns, man. Like you're going to lose more, far more respect doing that, trying to backpedal and try to, you know, save face than you are just saying. This is why I respect Aaron Rodgers, bro. Like him or hate him, he always sticks to what he says. Guys like that stick to what they – He lied, but – But no, he, he was dishonest. He didn't no, – he lied. He lied. He lied. He was dishonest about <laughs> what he – Straight up lied. Yeah. He, he lied. He, he, didn't, he, he, he avoided the question. But not, dishonest is lying. But yeah. I can respect him even – but even coming out and still still and still – not trying to say, oh, I was vaccinated, but he didn't. He didn't try to back it up with anything. He he was dishonest about the question up front and and played around it. But either way, guy, this is just a this is just a, honestly the Royals do suck if we're all being honest with ourselves. Um, but it, I mean to to do that to your team to your locker room, uh, you know it's just it's a bad look. It's a bad look on top of a team that's not playing good baseball at all right now. And we all kind of were excited to see what could become of Wit and who he could become. We all were pretty sold on him, you know, being, you know, something a little more than what he's been and what this team has been is just, it's a rough year as a, as a Casey Rose fan, if we're being honest. Uh, it, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think he would get a lot of backlash. Like you said, if he would have just says like, you know what? I did my own research. I don't believe in the vaccine or something. It would have been okay. You know what? It is what it is. Well, that's apparent. But, he doesn't, he didn't get, yeah, the vaccine. but, like, but he, <laughs> He went ahead and fucking bashed his team, his teammates. He gave us the reason. Yes. Instead well, of just saying, like, I don't want to get yes. a vaccine. Yeah, like, just say oh, you don't want to. because my team's shitty. Like, no, yeah, no, like, just say I don't want to get it because I feel like personally I, 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 whatever's in that vaccine is not, it's not, it's not good enough for my, my body, myself, my choice, whatever. Okay, fine. It yeah. is what it is. You didn't go to Canada. You didn't go to Canada. That's it. I mean, there's no, there's no, I mean, he has the, the, the point and the, and the leverage in that conversation, really. Obviously, not bashing his team, but like, you know, and there he, are no, there are no mask mandates anymore outside of going no, maybe I, to a hospital or something like that. But like, and yeah. ironically, he boned himself for his trade market because do you really think mm. some contender is going to be like, oh yeah, let's take that guy on that's going to conveniently be a competitor? For I would his say team. his bad. Because what if they go on a streak of losing games? Then they're like, hey, look, we're, we got a Toronto trip coming up. We've lost seven straight. We just traded for you. August second's the trade deadline. It doesn't help, but I would say his bad play's probably been the but biggest. But that's going to be in question. That's going to be in question now. The, the, if, they, if they if the Royals do like getting trade talks with like let's say the Phillies or a good team, the Phillies aren't really good this year. But I'm saying like a, let's say the Yankees. Let's say the Yankees have an injury and they're like, hey man, Witt might be available. You know, one of the first things that's going to come to available is, are you willing to get vaccinated? We're we're the best team in baseball especially right now, in especially in New York. But <laughs> we, we, you know. Let's say Aaron Judge gets hurt, and we need a guy to fill the gap for a couple weeks or a month, and Witt's the guy. I know that's obviously a huge, impossible standard to fill because you got Aaron Judge. Yeah. I'm just painting a scenario here. The first question they're going to ask is, are you going to get vaccinated? Because Toronto's in our division. Let's say the Toronto's getting hot. We've kind of crept down a little bit. It's a long season. Are you going to do what it takes? Oh, yeah, you'll do it now because you're on a good team, right? Okay, well, let's make sure. There's going to be some trust issues here. And I think he did himself no favors with the legacy he now has with the Royals because that will forever be a part of it, and the next team that he I think he inevitably plays for. Yeah, I mean he's he's definitely tarnished his his personal brand um, and his personality, if we're being honest, within the league. So I mean, 
It's not a good look, man. It's just not a good look. It's it's. I definitely would have respected it a little more if he stuck to it, um, or at least made sense and said that it wasn't about. Well, even if it doesn't make sense, with. stick to your guns yeah. though. Like, don't go. Like, there's nothing worse, bro, than being a liar and not making sense while lying, yeah. and then trying to cover those not making sense. Statements like at least when Aaron Rodgers lied, he you know stuck with his you know. With his lie. <laughs> He's been transparent about it since, he made since it bigger. then. Like, yeah. He made it bigger. But... He was immunized. Immunized. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it for me. All right. We uh, thank you, Eddie, for the Eddie Hour. Those awesome questions, man. We do appreciate it each and every week. Uh, we actually have somebody that decided to join our show again this week. Our guy from the Bay Area. Our guy, Mr. Stan Simmons. I uh, decided to drop us a little uh, voice note, which, by the way, if you guys want to jump jump to our uh, Anchor app, you guys can actually do that as well. I, we recommend, obviously, you go to YouTube and drop us some comments. But we always welcome voice notes, man. We love to get other voices on the show. And our guy Stan Simmons, who's now become an OG on this show, if you will, is uh, dropping co- gracious enough to get us one this uh, this week. Let's see what he's got for us. Hey guys, what's up? It's going to be a hot one today here in Fresno, 107 degrees. Ooh. Me and my wife are going to take a little drive out in the country. I'm looking for a nice, cool lake to dip into. Anyway, I know you guys have probably already touched on the whole Orlando Brown situation. But there are other stories that are also intriguing. We got Tyreek Hill running around saying Miami is going to be, still be just as good as Kansas City. The offense is just going to be, offense is going to be just as good. Um, you know, we lost Tyron Matthew. People are saying the Chiefs are going to fall off. You got a bunch of haters everywhere you go. So, in all honesty, what is the most troubling thing that you can see about the Chiefs this year? Losing Orlando Brown Jr. to a long-term contract or Tyreek Hill or even Tyron Matthew? You guys take stay cool. Have a good day. No, Stan, you stay cool because holy hell, man, you're practically in hell itself. That's... I thought it was hot out here. 107 over in Fresno. Pack light. Drink tons of water, my guy, Stan. I hope you and your wife are having a great time together, man, is whatever it is you guys are doing today. Um, Because of the fact that we've already kind of established our stances on the Orlando Brown and Tyreek Hill situation, I want to attack the other portions of this um, when it comes to what I think could potentially happen with this team or like the biggest problem they could face this year. I think because of the fact that Orlando Brown Jr. is going to, I'm very confident he's going to sign the franchise tag. He's going to play this season. He's going to try to get himself in position to get that big payday, whether with the Chiefs or not with the Chiefs. I'm I'm more so confident on that side. Losing Tyreek Hill, I think we've all agreed and established here that it it is a loss. It is something that sucks to lose because ideally you want to have as many superstar caliber players as possible, especially when they're still very much in their prime. But we, I think we've all accepted the fact that not only the Chiefs make peace with letting him move on and go and get that historic cash grab, but also the fact that I think the Chiefs did a pretty damn good job in solidifying and facilitating as many weapons as possible for Patrick Mahomes moving forward and doing that immediately, both in free agency and in the draft. I think he did a really, I think Brett Veach did a really good job in getting Juju Smith-Schuster, MBS, Sky Moore, and guys like that to contribute to this. I mean, hell, even the potential of Justin Ross excites me a little bit, even though I don't expect a lot, if anything, from him at all this year. But um, when it comes to Tyron Matthew, I think that's an interesting one because I don't think we talk about that one nearly enough. And the reason why is because I, I, I do agree that 
I was one. I, I was one that wanted Tyron Matthews stay in Kansas City because I think Tyron Matthew is a very valuable asset. I think he's an insanely good leader on the field. I think he's somebody that I think has plenty of football left in him. I don't think he had his best season last year. In fact, he didn't at all. I think he made some business decisions, as we've all talked about. He he missed on a few tackles here and there because I think it was in his head. I don't have a contract after yeah. the season. The Chiefs probably aren't going to bring me back. Me and Shavarius Ward, I remember they talked about in the AFC Championship when they lost. Him and Tyron Matthew and Shavarius Ward are sitting there on the bench going, did we just play our last game as a member of the Chiefs? And they both agreed, yeah, it was probably our last game. Now, they ended differently for both of them. Shavarius went in there and got themselves the bank with the Niners, and then then Tyron Matthew, way late into the offseason, got himself a nice, decent deal, about $18 million, I think, with the Saints. Gets to go back home, feel good story and all that. But I think that he, deep down, wanted to stay with the Chiefs. And I think deep down, if we're all honest here, we'd have loved to see him stay. Because I think we would see a reinvigorated, reignited version of Tyron Matthew if he got himself paid here in Kansas City. I think the Chiefs made it very obvious, though, they're not going to pay a guy that's at his age. I think they realize, you know, 29, 30 years old, at his position, which isn't as big of a position as it used to be back in the day when you can just run up and blindside guys in the middle of the field. Safeties don't play the same level of importance as they once did. They're still important. But I think the Chiefs saw an opportunity to go and get younger, bigger, stronger, more athletic, and Justin Reed, and cheaper, quite frankly, because I think Justin Reed, in totality, his contract is comparable to Tyron Matthews now, and he's five years younger. So I think I think the Chiefs saw that potential. They went and got Lonnie Johnson. They went and got Brian Cook. They went and got McDuffie. They went and they built themselves the best version of what they would consider like the next Legion of a Legion of Boom. Don't not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying they gave themselves that opportunity, and that is exciting to see. I think the drop-off could be the inexperience and the lack of true success that the guys that are, are experienced with this team, like Lonnie Johnson and Justin Reed, although very skilled players and our veteran players have had really no success in their careers. I think they have one playoff win with Deshaun Watson back in 2019 against the Buffalo Bills, who were very young and inexperienced. Outside of that, they have none. And the rest of the guys in this in this uh, secondary, outside of Legereus Sneed, have zero experience. So the lack of a Tyron Matthew there is imperative for guys like Steve Spagnuolo, who I've been saying on the show now for the last few weeks, has to have his A game this year. His fourth year as the defensive coordinator, this is going to hinge on his coaching ability to get these young, inexperienced, and lack of success players to their best ability. Because if you had a Tyron Matthew back there, you feel a lot more comfortable. Even at 30 years old, you know what he's going to bring, and you know the guys are going to follow him. Right now, we don't really know who that leader is going to be in the back end of this defense. You're going to find out really quick, though. And I think that that guy is on this team, and I think this team is going to be capable, but there are a lot of question marks and unproven commodities. You guys know me. I like sure things over unsure things. I think this team has a lot of pressure on them in the secondary because, as we all know, this pass rush is not going to be a top-10 pass rush, more than likely, and more than likely won't even be an average pass rush. Even more emphasis on the secondary being great and being great quickly. Without Tyron Matthew, that's a big challenge to ask. And if I can answer Stan's question as candidly as I can, I think that's the biggest concern of those three because, like I said, we've established our, our certainties of Orlando Brown Jr., where he stands, losing Tyreek Hill. But the Tyron Matthew one, to me, is still very intriguing. Yeah, I think the Tyron Matthew one is... Definitely, I'm I'm agreeance with you there. Um, just be, just because it's it's the most unknown and and or the Orlando Brown situation, he's here. You know he's going to be right. playing football this season, so he's here. Tyreek's gone. I think the biggest mystery of how how things are going to play out is the Tyreek Hill situation. Um, just because not having him, Patrick's never had him like on the on like you know consistent level. Um, so this is going to be a new. Uh, offensive of, of a way of going about things and our attack is going to be different unless dynamic 
possibly. Right. We don't know that, but possibly. We have some guys that are definitely dynamic and can become big parts of this offense and, and explosive, like guys like you know, McCall Harmon maybe possibly taking that next step and, and MBS being maybe a big explosive playmaker for us this season. Nothing's going to replace Tyreek Hill, and we know that. So we, we're already expecting something different there, but we are expecting Patrick Mahomes to still be Patrick Mahomes. So that's, there's less mystery with that and the, and the offense still being productive because it's we've had extremely productive offenses with, with Alex Smith. You know what I mean? So no diss to him, but you know he's a very vanilla quarterback, and we've had explosive plays and big moments offensively with that. Um, so I'm not worried about the offense, to be honest with you. Um, defensively, not having that, that leader, that voice, that captain, uh, that, Ty, that Tyron Matthew is – I mean, that's that's definitely a bigger blow, I think, and a, more of a, a worrisome thing, especially with the youth. You know, if we had a Tyron Matthew coaching up these young guys uh, and being that voice, that's kind of what we're expecting Legereus Need and Justin Reed to kind of be uh, for those new D, young DBs that we have in this roster. Um, so we're expecting some new voices to kind of take the place of a, a massive uh, juggernaut of a voice and a guy that's that, – leads the morale led the morale and changed the culture of this defense here in Kansas City that's a um he was a much more impactful player voice wise leadership wise than Tyreek Hill ever was um he changed the culture of this team Tyreek Hill was just an absolute juggernaut of a problem for defenses um talent wise Tyreek Hill was obviously superior um but as far as the impact on what they did vocally and leadership wise and morale and presence Tyron Matthew was arguably up there with anybody on this team, right? <clears throat> so I think I think replacing that and, and, and uh, what to expect with his absence is probably the biggest uh, question mark uh, this offseason. Yeah, man, we, we, shit, we all wanted Tyron back. We all kind of thought he was going to be back from the things we were hearing and, and then finding out that he has never offered a contract. You know, that it's cold-blooded, man, but that's, 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 that's the business of this, of this sport um, and how it goes. And, uh, you know what I mean? I, I yeah. That's for me. I'm I'm in agreement with you, Lance. I think that's that's definitely the biggest uh, question mark, and and the only real thing I'm I'm worried about um, as far as you know the the hit and miss of this youth movement and the DBs. I'm excited for it, but I'm also very nervous. Uh, it can it can definitely become a negative really quickly if uh, if it's not working out and these guys aren't prepared. So having a lacking a voice like that in the preparation for an, a, a very pivotal and important s- struggle. Uh, possible struggle of a, a season and a schedule we have ahead of us, man. It's it's a tough road ahead. So having these guys prepared and not having that voice is definitely worrisome. But I would say, yeah, that for sure. Nothing, nothing to add, huh? Uh, Come on, Eddie. We we gotta have your question. <laughs> you, you think Tyron gotta, is the? Is the yeah, thoughts? I mean, yeah. I think Tyron Matthew is the biggest uh, the biggest question mark uh, as in like, what what is this team gonna be without him? Uh, I feel like with Tyreek Hill, we we were able to adjust uh, great with uh, the draft picks and uh, obviously the uh, free agent signings with Juju MVS. Uh, so I'm no concern there. I think Orlando Brown. I agree with Trevor. I think he's going to be here this year. I think he's going to play. But when it comes to to Tyron Matthew, I I I don't know because we went we went really young. We we, we went uh, draft. Uh, we did get the player from the Texans. What are we going to get from him? Uh, it, it's still a big question. It's a big question mark. We we really don't know what this defense is really going to be going into the season. We have really high hopes for it, but we really have no clue what this defense is going to be. Yeah, and I will say this, though. I, I am a believer in Justin Reed, though. 
I, I really do. I liked him a lot. I loved that signing when we got him. He, when we talked about who we would have replaced, when we were preparing for possible departure of Tyron Matthew, Justin Reed was on my list of guys I yeah, would love I to see. Yeah, I remember that. Because um, I love his film. Granted, he's stuck in, he was stuck in, you know, over there in, in the Texans. It's a terrible team. But his film speaks for itself, though. I mean, it didn't, didn't contribute to, to, to any Ws, really, because that team was just bad. Um, but he had some good – I mean, there were some decent years, a uh, couple seasons there where Deshaun was balling and that offense was good with Cooks and, you know, got other guys like that. But um, his film speaks for itself. And, I, and I, he played along Tyra Matthew. He, he developed under him uh, for a couple seasons there at the Texans. So I, 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 I do believe – I want to say, like, I know that's the, that's the one I'm choosing as far as, like, what I'm most worried about because it, they're so young and inexperienced. But I do think Justin Reed is going to be a stud this year. I just want to put that out there. I do believe he's going to be – a better player than Tyron was last year. I think that's going to be the case. And I think he's going to be making far more plays than Tyron did last year. Not saying that that's a lot because Tyron didn't make a lot of huge plays. Like he had big plays and moments, but overall he was kind of, he was a down year for him last year. To piggyback, to piggyback on that thought, it needs, he needs to have, because that, I believe that's the floor here. Yeah. Is that what, what the chiefs are expecting Justin Reed to be is no worst yeah. No worse than what Tyron Matthew was last season because Tyron Matthew was not good enough mm-hmm. for this defense last season. They they needed him to play at a higher level. And again, I understand there were reasons for mm-hmm. Tyron feeling the way he did and stuff like that. But Justin Reed has to come in here and be the guy. I agree with you. I like, think he's going to be. I think he has to be that leader guy. I think Legereus Sneed and guys like that who are more adequated with the defense has been around for a few years now. Obviously, they got the inside track with that. Kind of like how MVS with McCole Harden and Cole Harden has the inside track. Juju with the same thing. But I think when it comes to knowing what you are when you're walking in the door, I think just I, I will agree with you on that. I think he has to be that guy. He's a confident he's the one fella, that, man. He's walking in with the most experienced league wide, mm. and he needs to show these guys what it takes to to elevate their games and go to the next level. And I, I like the qualities he has as well. Very interactive with fans, uh, very articulate individual. He was on Good Morning Football this last week. Yeah. Really confident guy. Not arrogant. He's but humble, very, but yes, confident, yeah. But, he, but he's all in. I, I really do appreciate that about him as I can tell that he really does – love the idea of being a chief mm-hmm. that's something that you can't just sell well, i mean dude, you go, have to that go from to where he was thing. to yeah. kansas city I mean, it was similar when tyron left right he was very excited i'm just saying that you know there, there is a, there is a certain level of pride yeah. that you have when you're drafted by a team and that team essentially says we yeah we don't really want you yeah. you know that, there's something to that i think that's an added flavor to the ingredient you know the ingredients that make justin reed what he is and what he i think he's going to be with the chiefs so i'm yeah. with you on that well, uh, again, Stan Simmons, thank you for that question. I mean, you really uh, you brought you sparked a really good conversation right there. And do not hesitate, man. Hit us up. And again, please, man, whatever you do, uh, stay hydrated today. We need you around as long as possible. We can't have you out there literally dying in the seat. So stay safe out there, bro- my brother. Uh, but we got one more order of business to get to, guys. What is it called? Hold, Hold this L. L. Each and every week, we finish off each and every episode with a series of L's in the world of sports. Whether those L's are friendly or not friendly L's in the world of sports, we promise you, whoever is holding those L's in the world of sports from us they deserve those l's mr eddie ortiz mr yo 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 who's holding the l for you this week and is it f1 that's not f1 okay i wish it was but (laughs) you were were scouring uh, there's no there's no (laughs) there's no uh f1 this weekend so uh but it was very slow for me in terms of finding what to give an l to uh so i'm giving it to uh sack wilson's (laughs) ex-girlfriend <laughs> I'm sure you guys know you why. You would, man. <laughs> I'm sure you, man. She got, she got, she got, she got That's dragged. Yeah, she got dragged for uh, 
dating uh, his former best friend now, or fucking his best former oh, best man. friend. <laughs> but yeah, everybody put your kids to bed. <laughs> the best part of the story is that because she was getting dragged, she tried to drag uh, Zach Wilson down with her, and she uh, replied to a comment saying that, well, he slept with his mom's best friends first, so, yeah. Yeah. This only gave social media fucking, you know, something to run with, and Zach Wilson became a trending topic He's this whole week. He's a legend already, man. Yeah. Because, like, the fucking, <laughs> some people had uh, photoshopped his jersey to, like, Milf Hunter, yeah. and, you know, it, it was it was amazing. It was, it was the best fucking... Um, Story of the week. Yeah. yeah. No. How do you? It was call, definitely how, entertaining. Yeah. How do you call? How, what what do you call when? Uh, uh, it's not karma. It, like it doesn't work. Like uh, your your karma. The 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 damage you're trying to do it doesn't work. It, it like it just like oh backfired. Oh yeah, oh, backfired. Yeah. 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 Definitely so, backfired. Yeah. So it it completely backfired on on her. They you might want to give a W to Zach Wilson because his jersey's the <laughs> leading jersey sales right now, and all jerseys. I'm yeah. in, in New oh. York for sure. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> no, First, no, I know, but I mean, the fact he's in New York helps that a lot. <laughs> yeah, too. and the fact with the story happened, it was like, yeah. yeah, I'm buying his jersey. Fuck, dude, that, that, fuck, fucking his mom's best friend. Uh, I bought one. Fucking them. savage. Yeah. So, for that reason, I don't know her fucking name. Uh, sports were slow her. for me this week, uh, but. Zach Wilson's ex-girlfriend, you got to do me a favor and uh, hold, hold this out. Thank you for that, Eddie. We really appreciate it. I'm what what yeah. can we do without you? I'm Welcome glad we to touched the... on it. Yeah. <laughs> SMC, spoken. Uh, uh, <laughs> the next week of Riverdale. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, dude, for for real. <laughs> Trevor Twitwell was holding you up for you this well, week, and is it Zach Wilson's aunt? No, I mean, it's what? not. <laughs> um, Ballsack Sports does it again. Mm. Um so on ESPN's This Just In. So glad you're bringing this one up. Yeah, so I'm just going to read the article here on the, the New York Post. ESPN's This Just In suffered a low blow after running an entire segment on a fake John Morant quote apologizing for the mistake on air Tuesday. In this bogus statement, which originated from the parody Twitter account Ballsack Sports, if you don't read... Who follows the, me, by the way, on Twitter? That's I mean, pretty cool. You read, you read the name of the source, and you still go with it. Mm-hmm. Anyways... Morant uh, on Ballsack Sports Twitter account uh, claimed uh, John Morant claimed Michael Jordan would be seen as just another superstar, quote unquote, uh, if he were to play in today's NBA. This is the quote here. And it's playing. And just so you guys know, for context, this is playing off an interview he did with uh, uh, Taylor Rooks. Yeah. So Rooks. Yeah. Which is uh, the interview um, talking about where he he did say that he would uh, he would cook MJ. Yeah, he did say that. Which is the. I would expect any star player in the NBA to to have that confidence within themselves for sure. He wasn't disrespecting MJ by no any no means, no yeah. no no. Um, and I expect MJ to respect that quote if I'm being honest. Um, but the 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 fake quote that Ball Sack Sports put out there that uh, ESPN immediately put out there and this just in, which is like a hot take show trying to grab the latest thing on on Twitter, the newest latest trending quotes and storyline. Um, but this is the quote that they put out there. Um, quote. If you put an MJ in today's game, he's just another superstar. The fake quote, uh, which was liked over 25,000 times on Twitter, read, we got Steph, Luca, Dame, Trey, and then guys like Braun, KD, Giannis, Kwai. It's not just one superstar and a bunch of, and a bunch of you know, average dudes, you feel. So this Justin <laughs> uh, immediately took that headline and ran with it and uh, immediately had to, uh, almost immediately had to, uh, 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 take it down and apologize live on air 
Once again, Ball Sack Sports is just getting, dude, they're just, this, they're earning troll points as we hey, speak, like, Barry every McCockin day. Barry ran so everyone, or walked yes. so everybody could run, man. And Ball Exactly. Ball, yeah. He paved the way. Yeah. He blazed that trail. Uh, I love, personally, ESPN's falling apart, and we all, as we all know, they're, they're just hanging by a few big names at this point. Um, and they're trying their best to get those clicks and get those, you know, headlines and the sexy storyline. They're trying to be the first to get these, mm-hmm. these big time quotes. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were trying to clout chase a, a massive story or a massive quote and they fall victim. When you do that, when you're impulsive like that, you fall victim to, to fake Twitter accounts. And I mean, like I said, like if I read, Oh, who's the source ball sack sports, air it. Like who, how do you not know you're being trolled? Like, they also you know have I mean? butt crack sports. I don't yeah. know if you seen that one too. And and they, they, they post and shit. And they have no shame. It's like at least yeah. Barry McCockner was like changing his name to like. Well, Rachel Nichols actually mentioned Barry McCockner on live <laughs> uh, like four years ago. She goes, it says here on this tweet from Barry McCockner. No, this is this is becoming one of the, like, the, the, the late. This is like one becoming like one of the last like real like just true american troll jobs that you can do like trolling like this to this level is so good and i'm so glad it made it to espn i, I love when these situations happen so for that this justin espn do me a solid favor and hold, hold this l, l. Man, i'm so glad you brought that one up that was hilarious man oh dang another one um we we talked a little bit ago about the qualifications of, of former great athletes or former athletes period and how they a lot of times put themselves in areas that I don't and I, I'm somebody who's very supportive of you know free speech and you know players that shouldn't feel like just shut up and dribble but like the RJ the Richard Jefferson situation him being an official in that game and how I feel like the qualifications sometimes don't meet what's being said or what they're trying to vocalize or what they're trying to establish I think I think that runs consistently across the board I think a lot of times we get analysts that are former players, and because of the status and success they had as players, they get those jobs, and they're not really that good at it. Um, and we just kind of put up with it because of who they were, and they're a recognizable figure, a polarizing figure, what have you. Um, Ray Allen has unfortunately put himself in that position. And the biggest reason why is because Ray Allen is... And again, you're right You're right to have your own opinion, and, and I'm not opposed to people having their opinion. For me, though being an opinion person like I am and somebody that runs a, an opinion based platform show all this all this I, I want to be able to back up my opinion with something and unfortunately for Ray Allen living in the world we now live in you have social media and you have people everybody's got a phone in their hand that can record conversations you have mm. it's no longer hearsay like it once was and I don't think Ray Allen is aware of that because he is caught on film Talking to a group of young individuals, I'm assuming it was like a basketball camp or something like that. I know Ray Allen uh, t- coaches his kids, and I know he's very involved in the in the youth circuit and, and things of that nature, which is awesome. But there's this video, and it's only about 23, ironically, 23 seconds long of Ray Allen having a, a spirited debate, rather, with these uh, young guys on why LeBron James is not the greatest basketball player of all time. And I'll let the man speak for himself as to why he, he feels this way. So that was really quick, and it was kind of a, a muffled-sounded video. So let me let me translate it for you. This young man is is standing in front of Ray Allen at this circuit, and Ray Allen basically presents to him three different 
uh, areas of playing basketball that he doesn't believe LeBron James is great at. He he, he avoids the ones he is great. Yeah, well, I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Ray Allen asked this kid, is he a great free throw shooter? No. Is he a great three-point shooter? No. Is he a great handle or dribbler of the basketball? No. So how can he be the greatest when he's not great at these three things? This, to me is a very ignorant stance because of the fact that and I don't know who Ray Allen thinks is the greatest basketball player of all time, but clearly he has an opinion if, in fact, he's he's engaging in these types of conversations and is specifically downplaying what LeBron is as the potentially greatest basketball player ever. So I'm okay with him saying that somebody else is better or a greater basketball sure. player. But he doesn't give, first of all, the player he thinks is greater. But let's let's just assume here there's a couple of guys that Rayon potentially thinks is the greatest basketball player ever because he didn't give us this. I have to kind of speculate here. Let's say he thinks Michael Jordan is. Let's say Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is. Let's say that Magic Johnson is. Okay, Michael Jordan, although was a great free throw shooter, was a terrible three-point shooter. Of course. And did not have a handle. He was early in his career, he could dribble. But as his greatest time of his career, he was not known as a guy that was putting people on skates. He was not known as a guy that was in there with with the ball. He was a good slashing to the bucket, things of that nature. But Michael Jordan was not known for his handle. Yeah. He was not known for that. Not not a lot of people in that time were until right. I, uh, Allen Iverson came about and like really made that a thing. So so of of the three criteria that Ray Allen addressed about LeBron James, mm. Michael was only great at one of them. One of them. So is now Michael now negated from that conversation as well? Let's go to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who I think is the second greatest basketball player of all time because of his longevity, 100%. career accomplishments, all those things. I think he's the second greatest basketball player of all time. He was not a great free throw shooter for the majority of his career. He got better as time went on, but he struggled out the gate at the free throw line. He was a terrible three-point shooter. In fact, he never really shot three-pointers because back in his day, the three-point liner wasn't around when he first started playing basketball. Basketball, And when he and when it was around, he was a, he was a post player Almost exclusively, he was known for the skyhook. All-time leading score. You don't score skyhooks from the three-point land. Right. He was not a three-point shooter. And let's not even address the fact he was not a dribbler. The man was seven foot one. And unless you're Kevin Durant or Anthony Davis or Giannis or one of those taller guys like that that are freak athletes, you're not dribbling anyway. So obviously the handle's out of his way. So we're talking about .5 out of the three that he meets the criteria? So those are two of the most well-known names. Magic Johnson. Shaq. Magic Johnson never shot threes and was a terrible shooter, period. Had an insane handle, but wasn't a good free throw shooter either. So we're talking about one of three for Magic Johnson. So if we're going to negate LeBron James for these three things, you're negating all of them. Because to my, LeBron James's defense, and I don't have to make a case for, for LeBron. LeBron does it for himself. I don't have to do it. But let's just go down the three real quick. How about the fact that LeBron James has a higher three-point career? 19 seasons, by the way. A career, higher career three-point percentage than Michael Jordan, obviously Kareem, obviously Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant, yep. some of the greatest scorers, Carl Malone, obviously, some of the greatest scorers who've ever lived. He has, by far, a better three-point career percentage. He shoots almost 35% from three. Michael Jordan shot less than 30 Mm-hmm. And he didn't even shoot for the majority of his career three-pointers. He didn't shoot until the final, like, five, six, seven seasons of his career. He played 15 years in the league, and he was never a prolific three-point shooter. How about the fact that Michael LeBron has a higher career free-throw percentage than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was a better scorer to this point of his career than LeBron James was? And again, 
Mike LeBron isn't Allen Iverson with the ball. He isn't Kyrie Irving with right. the ball. But this man is six foot nine and has a handle. Right. It's it, anybody that's you know I love the the conversation. Because, well, I watched the game. I saw it with my eyes. Go watch LeBron James with the basketball. Very few players, if ever, have been better with a basketball altogether from passing, shooting, dribbling, all those things than LeBron yeah, James. I mean, were, were we shaming Carl Malone for not having a handle? He's almost the same size as LeBron. Like, And it's, and it's funny, and, and not to delve off too far, because Ray Allen is the one getting the L today because this is just an absurdly bad take from a guy that's a legend, by the way. Yeah, It's funny because Ray Allen, his own legacy, significantly benefited and was hurt by LeBron James. When he was with the Celtics from 2008 to 2012, who was the one that kept them from winning more, more, multiple championships? Mm -hmm. LeBron James. Absolutely. He's the one that dominated the Celtics the moment the playing field was even. And it was no longer three Hall of Famers with Rajon Rondo. It was now LeBron James, or Le those three, and, and James Posey and Rajon Rondo versus LeBron and a bunch of ragtags. Then it's LeBron, D-Wade, Chris Bosh versus those three. And what happens? The Celtics never advance past LeBron James again. Nope. And then, who does Ray Allen go to when it's no longer, you know, <laughs> primitive, pro, uh, re relevant for him to stick with the Boston Celtics? That's right. He goes and plays a role-playing position for LeBron James and the Miami Heat. And then what happens? Oh, yeah, he wins another title because LeBron James carried him there and went to multiple finals with LeBron James at the tail end of his career. So I just find that funny that Ray Allen, although his legacy has been deeply impacted by LeBron James, for yeah. him to sit there and say something like that, I find that very profound. And it just... It, I find it funny also, real quick, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done here, guys, because I know I can go on a tangent here, but... It's funny that people are also starting to quickly, I don't even say too slowly, quickly use this longevity game against LeBron James and saying, well, of course he's scoring all these points. He's going to be the all-time scorer. Look how long he's played. You know what's funny about that? Is that LeBron James is the fastest to score every milestone every single time. of all of them. Yeah. 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, 25,000, 30,000, 35,000. The fastest to all of them. Unless shot. So too. longevity... Yep only benefited the ones that, 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 that set the marks before him. He's the one that's the fastest to it. Right. So longevity can't even be used against him. So it's just it's so it's funny argument. how these conversations are being made and the goalposts continue to move, even by the legends that benefited off of the greatness of LeBron James. How ignorant these old heads are. They're lying. They're lying to these young dudes. And I saw the young... You go watch the video. I recommend everybody that's not seen this video yet, go watch the video. These young dudes are laughing at Ray Allen. Literally laughing at him as he walked away. Now, it could have been nervous laughter, but I think oh, yeah. a lot of it was Starstruck. humor. Yeah. It was just like, this dude really just said that? That's the criteria he bases it off of? It's no longer championships and finals appearances that people have been ignorantly going off of for years now since Michael Jordan, which, by the way, Michael Jordan had a statue in front of uh, the United Center that said the greatest there ever was after he only won right. his third title. Right. Dude wasn't even 30 years old, or he was like 30, 31 years old at that, at that point. And people were already calling him, because he had a statue that said it. And he hadn't even gotten close to the rest of the rings he had had. So I just find it funny that one moment's this one, the next moment's, oh, the three criterias, but the greatest of all time don't even match those criterias. It'd be one thing if Kareem was an incredible three-point shooter, dribbler, and, and free-throw shooter, same with LeBron, or same with Michael, same with Magic, same with Kobe, anybody else you want to throw in there. But none of them meet those three criterias. It's hilarious to me. So... For that, in a roundabout way, my guy Ray Ray, he got game. You also got something else coming. Go ahead and hold this L. L. He got L. And Jesus himself. We got some breaking news. Let's hear it. It's baseball news. Uh, so Juan Soto rejects 15 years, $440 million offer from the Nationals. 
and the national and the nationals will now entertain trading uh, trading him. Oh wow! You've got to be kidding me! He turned no. that down. He turned he turned down four hundred and forty million for fifteen years. It was a it was like a hockey uh, contract where they yeah. do like those ten plus years. Like Patrick Mahomes was so insane because it was football and they're giving 10-year contracts. Baseball, Yo. after Bryce Harper and Mike Trout getting their substantial numbers, John Carlos Stanton, um, uh, Fernando Tatis, yeah. getting those big contracts like that, this has become more of a thing. And Juan Soto, who's one of the next great baseball players, I think he's only like 23 years old at this point, Damn. he was going to reset everything. Mm-hmm. Not just by year of or number of years, but for almost half a billion dollars. I don't know the ins and outs of this, so I'm not going to sit here and form an opinion yet. We'll we'll discuss this probably next week. But holy shit, I did not expect him to turn that down. I'd love to know the reasons for why he turned it down. I would turn it down, too. He's 23 years old, yeah. And he's... (laughs) 15-year career. Dude, that's 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 fully guaranteed. That's fully guaranteed money. Oh, yeah, baseball money, man. I can't believe he just turned that down. That dude's got... I mean, he must know something we don't. I mean, obviously. Yeah, he's got watermelons for nuts. it It doesn't say nothing other than him just turning down... Uh, 15 years for four. He's probably got. He's probably got feelers under there. Some other teams are probably. I think the Dodgers are. Like, hey, can you imagine the haul the Nationals? Somebody's gonna pay him more. Can you imagine that the haul the Nationals could get for him? Oh, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you guys watch Juan Soto play baseball. This dude, he makes he makes looking great look easy. Like the way he can hit. I've seen this dude hit a home run off his knee. In a game. I mean, he's he's a reincarnate of like Andrew Jones at his peak. Damn. It's stupid how great this kid is. I don't. I, feel, I kind of feel bad for the Nationals. They're doing everything they can to keep Shit, them. Yeah, you can't offer much more than that. That's wild. Well, we're going to break all that down next week. But in the meantime, this has been a fun show. Uh, we've had a lot of fun. I hope you guys have had a lot of fun. Uh, we have, I'm sure, plenty more to get to when it comes to train. Because train camp starts on the 27th. So by this time next week, we're really going to be sinking our teeth into training camp football. We're man, we're there. I'm so excited, man. We're we're so. I think we're what, as we're recording this, I think we're 55, 56 days from actual football starting up. Week one football. Cannot wait, man. We're we're less than a month a half month about a month and a half away. I hope you guys are ready because we got some great guests coming up. We got some great content coming up, and I hope that you guys have had a good time in this off season because. It's it's this has been the dog days for sure, man. We've been trying to give you guys as much as we can, and that's what we do here. And I hope you guys join us on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, and on Twitter. Importantly, on YouTube, I want to reemphasize that. Hit us up on the subscribe button and comment on there. Uh, share it. Do whatever you guys want to do. I don't like to be that guy normally, but if you guys would be so kind, if you do support what we do here, if you like what you get from us and you get to feel like you're a part of all this, then uh, help us out just a little bit by doing that. We'd really appreciate it, trying to grow those numbers a little bit more. But like I said, fun time, great show. For Trevor Twiddle, for the great Eddie Ortiz, Mr. Yo-Yo, for the great Clay Windler, for everybody that's a part of this, man, we really do appreciate you guys. I'm Lance Twiddle of The Spoken Podcast. Episode 175 is done, finished in Benito. And until we're here for one 176 breaking down potential the potential of the training camp season we out of this bitch we're gonna get out of this bitch thank you so much for listening guys see ya you are tuned into the spoke I might actually stick I might actually stick around for a little bit.